Hello all and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is May the 20th of 2020. I am Nick here along with Chris. We have manga to talk about today as Uh we usually do. But first, Uh, a story, Nick. A story? Yep. I found... Let me go go get my teddy bear. Okay. Uh, I found blue coffee in a house, Nick. Blue coffee? Yep, in a house. I can't give you more details than that. Rest assured, I was not breaking and entering. <laughs> but I was in what could best be described as uh, an abandoned house. Had very little in it, but it had one old container of coffee filled with blue powder. And I can't... I don't know if it was a drug I've just never seen before, or if that's what happens to this coffee when you just... Leave it alone for a decade or so. <laughs> Wasn't uh, weren't the drugs in Breaking Bad blue because of the chemical process that they used? Yeah, that was meth, though. I mean, you'd have to like really grind you'd meth to grind down to this yeah. kind of powder. Yeah, this 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 was almost like a flour like consistency. Like that's the kind of powder it was, and it was all blue. You see, Chris, you said blue coffee, and I didn't say anything at first because I was like, I don't know anything about coffee. Is he saying, is he talking about a defunct brand of coffee, or does he mean physically blue coffee? And it turned out to be the much better option between yes. those two. Oh, so. how great would it have been? I'm like, Nick, I don't drink coffee, but I went inside a house and did this really old brand of coffee. Isn't that neat? You don't drink coffee at all, but you're like an aficionado. That's like, this is your thing. <laughs> I'm like, I know old brands of coffee. I, I, God, I wish there was a way for me to easily, I might post the picture on Twitter because I, I, I can't explain how blue and unnerving this coffee was. I have a picture. It's, it's never going to come out like in a, in a clean way for people to see. Uh, I'll post a picture of it later, uh, but right. there is blue coffee that I found in this house, and uh, that's that that was my excitement. That's what we kind of have to do during quarantine now, is we just find our own fun, you know? You just go into, going into abandoned houses. <laughs> you just wander into old houses and check out what's going Again, I did not break and enter. I cannot explain all the circumstances Fine. around this, but it's important that we know if you leave coffee alone for a decade or so, I think it turns blue. That sounds like science, right? That's science, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Replication, what's that? <laughs> Never heard of it. We have 14 chapters to talk about this week. Uh, uh, I want to talk about 12. Let's cut out two. The ones that you would talk about? <laughs> yeah. oh, man, what a fucking asshole I would be if that was the case. No, no breaks, Nick. Yeah! <laughs> talk forever, monkey. Uh, we have no One Piece, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes me sad because, just not to get too far ahead of myself, guys, um, not like manga in general this week. There were a couple chapters here and there. It's like, well, that was nice. But there were a lot that had me feeling disappointed or bored, or made me feel nothing. And uh, you could the ch- overwhelming majority of the chapters we're going to talk about today. And now I've got to make them sound interesting. So <laughs> here we go! <laughs> I was like, Nick, you could just call it, you could just say Mission Yuzakura family by name. No one's going to judge you for that. That was one of the better ones! <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> we're, in for, <laughs> we're in for quite a week if that's the case. 
My Hero Academia, we will begin with number 271, Dark Cloud. This is also actually one of the better ones because, like, interesting character interactions actually happen and stuff. Although it wasn't an especially eventful chapter. Mm-hmm. We actually get a little bit of background to when Tokoyami uh, abandoned the Fataxi the in order to go and rescue Hawks. Um, now that I think about it, wholly unnecessary two pages <laughs> i know it's there to explain that fat gum went running after tokoyami and that's why he shows up at the battlefield later but i don't know it's it, it's really weird and fat tax and fat gum is making lots and lots of weird jokes in, in this chapter to kind of add a little bit of uh relief from the gruesome fates that people are suffering so Tokoyami went in order to rescue Hawks. He's now squaring off against Dobby while Dark Shadow covers up Hawks, uh, whose body is still smoldering. And Tokoyami's like, hey, you know, because Dark Shadow's trying to tell him, this looks bad. And Tokoyami's like, yeah, I don't want to hear that right now. And Dark Shadow says, his back, it's gone. Sounds Not like some rough his times. wings are gone, his back back is gone <laughs> so that's gruesome as fuck you know and then i because there's some people who are speculating like i wonder if hawks will just ever be able to be a hero again maybe he won't die but he won't be a hero. and i was like no he's either dead or he's going to be a hero again because and i wonder if horikoshi resents this every day but he created a character who could just rewind time and save everybody who would ever get hurt <laughs> so there's there's literally one or the other <laughs> Well, it's the same I, thing with Mirko. Like, just rewind her before everything got cut up, and she's great again. Like, yeah, thank God that character doesn't have any control <laughs> over their abilities. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> so Dobby recognizes that Tokayami is a UA student, and then he kind of jerks his thumb over towards Twice's body and says, "Hey, your man killed this guy. Uh, he was just running off to protect his friends, and uh, he stabbed him in the back." So, why are you here? Did you come to save people? Who are you trying to save? All these pros that you looked up to, they're assholes. They're murdering assholes. So, why are you bothering to do that? So, Hawks tries to get Tokoyami's attention, but he has been, you know, flamed. Uh, so, his voice is very weak. Tokoyami just says to Dobby that he is just concerned with protecting his mentor. Dobby launches a blast of fire at them, and Tokoyami has to dodge out of the way. He can't really fight back because fire, light, Dark Shadow is weakened by it. So he immediately concludes that he's got to get uh, Hawks away, got to get him to some first aid. And Hawks manages to murmur to him that he that Dobby's going to keep talking. And sure enough, Dobby does keep talking. So Tokoyami whispers to Hawks, uh, who thinks to himself, What's going on is that, you know, he was talking so much that he didn't kill me properly. And now he's doing it again. And it's not because, you know, he has the freedom to do that and he was just enjoying it. It's just that he's trying to buy time because his flames have become weaker. He can't fire his flames off continuously. And of course, we know this about Dobby, that he has a problem with sustaining his flames because they will burn him. So there's another weakness in his quirk so Hawks doesn't explain all this to Tokiyami because he basically has to take one breath between every syllable so he just tells him go leave now so Tokiyami jumps over the ledge of the balcony that they're on while having Dark Shadow attack Dobby to distract him uh, 
basically Dark Shadow acts as a bungee cord to catch him on the rail so that they don't immediately fall to their deaths. Uh, and now that they're away from Dobby, there's no flames down there, so Dark Shadow can be up to full strength. And he starts to take off, and Dobby immediately goes dropping in, launching another burst of flames. And he just says to himself, well, he's got this big mannequin grin on his face. Yeah, I figured he would do this, so I made those last couple of blasts weaker so that I would have, I would have some energy left. But just as it looks like the flames are going to eclipse them all, a giant wave of ice crashes through everything. A giant wave of ice. It bursts through the wall of the building. We cut outside. Fat Gum sees a butt. Yeah. This is at least 40% of Mount Lady's character, if not more. She has a butt. Like Every time that she shows up, there are people checking out that ass. Even the universe. So, like, I know, like, giant women is a fetish, and I can't tell, like, I don't, I don't feel like Horikoshi is sexualizing it. Like, I don't feel like that's his fetish in the same way you, it's blindingly obvious every fetish hero has. But at the same time, her character does feel boiled down to just that fetish. So... Mount Lady is about to come crashing down into Fat Gum, who dodges out of the way and cries out, Booty incoming. Yep. Booty incoming. They were saved by the ass, Nick. So, (laughs) that giant wave of ice has knocked a whole bunch of heroes away. uh, And we see that the ice, of course, has been summoned by Getten, the Parker-wearing member of the uh, Quirk, just a League of Villains alliance, Quirk, names, it was a weird name and I don't like it. Paranormal Liberation Front. (laughs) Uh, Had we seen Getten's face before? Briefly, yes. Okay. Uh, I think in that big shot where uh, it showed like the generals and stuff, they weren't wearing their hood. Okay. Because so. in my mind, I was like, I don't know why you would like the 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 parka hood up. This is with, my like, reveal. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah, you're just like a normal looking person. I don't really. Yeah, much. <laughs> that's not like a big reveal. You'd have like a laser eye or something if you could hold this up. Takes, takes the hood off. They they just got a dog face. Up. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what? Hey, I mean. Kubo might have an issue with this because it does kind of feel like you're infringing on it. All right. So now that they've got a dog face. We know that they've got the worst quirks. So <laughs> yeah, they're bonk guys. They make a bigger version of themselves that hurts them. <laughs> and every time you hit it, it kills them. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, I made myself a bigger target. Why? Why is it such a glaringly obvious weakness? And I like that people try to excuse it because they're like, he also has the special ability that normally because when someone's bonkai is destroyed, it's destroyed forever, but his isn't like that. I was like, yeah, to trade off for the fact that if you stab his giant Bankai in the arm, you stab him in the arm, too. <laughs> That's like a cool point. Hey, I just threw this one random rock at that huge giant thing and it hit its head. And then Komura just like fell over <laughs> with a concussion. It was amazing. Oh, it's not like to scale either. So if you throw a big rock at the you arm, just, you, just like, oh. climb up, you just climb up the thing and punch it in the nads. And Komura goes, oh, oh Jesus. Why? 
Just, oh, no, please, stop punching it, no! <laughs> God, why is my pot guy so lame? Square centimeter of my balls being punched <laughs> individually. Oh, poor Kumamore. So, um, the main, on a macro scale, as a result of getting something this huge ice wave, it has bought the uh, Paranormal Liberation Front some time. And it seems as though someone uh, is coming through the wall to attack Gang Orca. I think that's what's going on. Uh, because they emerge to what appears to be Gang Orca's blind side, I guess. I don't really know. Yeah, it's it's a little. I would assume they're coming after Gang Orca, but who knows? I guess. I mean, we could see in the panel right before it that Gang Orca's not alone. Yeah. So, uh, the point I I the general point is supposed to be that Getin is kind of rallying the troops with this, so they're kind of pushing back on this front. However, a side effect of this is because they summon that huge ice wave. Dobby has not been able to finish off uh, Tokiyami and Hawks. Tokiyami gets away with him. Uh, and he is has big old tears in his eyes as he cries to Hawks, like, I know your hands aren't dirty. You were you believe, you were doing the right thing, so don't go dying on us. Uh, then we cut to inside the building where uh, Dark Shadow had been sent and attacked Redestro. Redestro is trying to get some spare legs so that he can get back up on his feet. And someone calls to him and, and just points to Gigantomachia, who has stood up and Gigantomachia sniffs the air and, and says, Master Scent. So, obviously what's going on here is that, you know, the, the pendulum is swinging back the other way. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems as though on all fronts, all the villains are starting to push back. We've had, you know, Davi, uh, Cripple Hawks. We've had, we have uh, Shigaraki seemingly waking up. Gigantomachia is now becoming active and could, could join the battle soon. Uh, so the heroes have been on the winning side of things for quite a while now. So now it's time for them to start suffering some, uh, some blows themselves. Okay. All right. Action. Good, good chapter. Scene 112. Fame. Uh, something, something, spotlight. I don't know the words to that. So fame. <laughs> you know, I admire the dedication to the bit. Once you got like the word in, you're like, I don't know this song. <laughs> no lyrics at all. I don't even know the chorus. Fame. <laughs> I want to live forever. Is the, I want to something, something, fire, lights. I don't know. You know, all those definitely could be right. Every single one of those you could be nailing. So, uh, we see Kay's school friends making their way to school, and they are surrounded by advertising that features Kay because she is getting so famous, and the advertisements featuring her are everywhere. Uh, then we see some random uh, people who are, you know, kind of walking on their way to school, and a couple of them seem to spot Kay, and they're like, is, was that her? Oh, and then we do, it's, it cuts to her, actually, and she's, like, just dashing past everyone so that, you know, she doesn't get bothered basically uh and at that moment when she arrives at school gets in through the school gates uh is also when yoshioka and hina arrive and they're like why, why are you running and she's and she's like yeah uh my disguises never work so i just run past people now gotta do what you gotta do i guess 
Uh, but of course, people at school recognize Kay. And so they're like, oh, that's Kay United. And like, they're just kind of clearing a giant path for Kay and her friends to walk through. Um, while Yoshioka kind of comments, you know, you know, she's kind of, you know, being pushed ahead, isn't she? She's kind of being pushed away from us. And uh, they kind of try to just strike up like a more casual conversation and just talk like nothing's going on. But the loudest camera phone in the world goes off. Either that or literally nobody in the school is raising their voice above a whisper because they're like, we don't want anyone to notice that we're talking about Keionagi, even though everyone is clearly staring at her. Yeah, well, you you had someone, they got that giant Kodak camera. It's just like the the ones that make the loudest noise. Used like their last um, Polaroid. So now you can hear it rewinding. (laughs) Not Polaroid, the uh, disposable cameras that would rewind them. That's what I meant. Anyway. um, So people look around and like, did someone just take a picture? And Yoshio gets really pissed off. And she's like, who did that? Have you ever heard of portrait rights? Celebrities have them too. And it's like, you're, you're, you're in a public space, guys. Like, they can take pictures of her if they want. Yeah, I was like, it's kind of weird to get this upset. I understand, like, the idea of, like, the, the privacy of my friend is being invaded. Yeah. But, I mean, they're, like, in a schoolyard. They're and someone took, yeah. I was like, it's not like, oh, I caught her while she was, like, in the dressing room or like eating or something like that. It's like, I don't know. She's like walking. That's where that is how most paparazzi photos get taken. Like seriously. And also this guy is just taking out his phone and, and in this chapter expresses literally no intents of like doing anything with it beyond just like having it. Yeah, he's like, oh, this is pretty cool. I get to, I can't believe I get to go to school with this famous person. This is nice. Portrait rights referred to. I actually had to look this up because I was because I thought that I knew what it was, but I had to make sure. Portrait rights refers to you can't use a photo of a celebrity and say that they're endorsing your product unless they are actually endorsing your product, basically. So I was like, I mean, he's a he's a first year high schooler. What so <laughs> I can't tell everybody. I can't throw up a picture of Michael Jordan to tell everybody Michael Jordan thinks this is the best podcast. In all of the internet. Unless it's a parody. Oh, so if I do a funny voice then for Michael Michael Jordan, then it yeah. works. All right, we're so still in. If, a- if you have, like, a picture of Michael Jordan and you have, like, you know, like, South Park animation of his mouth bouncing up and down, and, and you're like, I am Michael Jordan, and I... <laughs> I, am fr- I am French Michael Jordan, and I would like to say this is the best podcast on the internet. Oh, we oui, oui. So yeah, you can do that. All right, cool. We got a we got a sponsor for later on the episode. That's right. Uh, oh, I would like to tell you about the Red Shadow Legends, ninety five champions. <laughs> Download this app and you will get the free money. <laughs> Fifty thousand silver for your first download. Will that make me actually want to play it more? Probably not. Almost certainly not, unless you love the ads in your face. So anyway, Kay tells Yoshioka, Ooh, I'm gonna be back just, real quick. It, it, it's fine. It's, uh, you know, this happens all the time. Calm down. 
dude who took the photo is like, oh, awesome. I get to go to school with Kei Yonagi. This is great. And at that moment, Ryoma arrives and is like, who the hell are you? What's your name? What class are you in? And uh, Hina tries to stop things from like going to becoming violent. Uh, and eventually the guy says, like, I'm Tajima. And Ryoma says, Yonagi. Tajima of class 1-2 wants to take a photo with you. So we cut to inside the assembly hall immediately after that. And the principal, I guess, looks around and is like, why are only like a fifth of the students here? Where is everyone for the opening ceremony? And it turns out the K is outside. She's answering various questions that all the students are asking her. And so she's like, no, I'm not I'm not in an intimate relationship with Akira. And Ogami's not a violent guy. And some person's like, no way. I read it on the internet. <laughs> Which is the most 14-year-old thing to say, honestly. <laughs> but I read it on the internet. Are you sure that you're not banging him? And, he, and she's like, well, I mean, I could call him. Do you want me to, to call him and ask him? She's like, I think my perception of reality is still working, but maybe it's not. So I guess I should talk to him and confirm that. And someone's like, I don't think that's a good idea if you do that. And she says, but nobody believes me. <laughs> Which has got to be a frustrating thing, honestly. Oh, but, yeah. you know, it's it's Kay's typical, very blunt, bizarre behavior. But amongst students who think that she's cool and famous, as opposed to commercial uh crew who are just like i just want to shoot this video and go home please please stop doing research about about what kind of water this is so uh case friends are watching this uh from a, a short distance away and uh ryoma explains himself by saying you know there is tension when people are you know keep an awkward distance between themselves uh so you know it's cool at least it's better if things are just like this and Yoshioka's like, you'd know about awkward distances. And Ryoma's like, I'm going to punch you. So they're friends. Yeah, they're good buddies. Uh, a teacher comes out and scolds everyone because, you know, they're not actually attending the opening ceremony. So everyone realizes what they're doing and rushes off. And then there's just, you know, a little bit of, you know, conversation between Kay and her friends saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a bunch of new friends and invite them to the club and we can shoot a new movie together and we're going to have fun. So. And then we just have a little brief narration saying, yeah, Kay is you know, now starting her final year of high school. So, yay, she still has a little bit of a normal life. Kuroyama apparently doesn't like this, I guess, because we cut to him. Uh, who He is talking with the producer, of course, after their you know, discussion last time. Um, and so he says, like, do you just intend to have her miss school until you start filming? And Kuroyama doesn't say anything. So he's like... I mean, you're not making sense, Kuriyama. It's like you don't want Yonagi getting famous. Kuriyama says, that's not true, but there's no need to take unnecessary risks. See, I'm just upset that Kay didn't go to Vietnam and film people whose babies were... <laughs> I'm going to have to keep that in mind every time that Kuriyama does anything from now on. You just, have, just remember the speech like, can you go into war zones and film people who are and not help them because they're asking you to film them instead while they're dying. I'm 17. This is a very big rude awakening. I'm not <laughs> sure I was really... I just wanted to do commercials. I don't know why I'm getting this on dropped on me. Uh, the main thing that comes out of this scene as they're sitting down for a meeting and the other people for the meeting start showing up 
is that uh, this is going to be Kuriyama's first major production and Kei Yonagi's first starring role. But it's not going to be a movie. Instead, it's going to be a TV show, a historical TV drama with Kay in the star role. So I'm actually really looking forward to this because we haven't seen, you know, a TV show on Actage before. Uh, it'd be nice to have like a recurring thing going on with Kay as opposed to she did a play and then she did a movie and then she did a commercial. Um, so. And I think I whacked back when we covered Skip Beat. I think that the most interesting stuff that was done in that was whenever it came to TV shows. So, mm-hmm. yeah, could be interesting. Um, chapter itself is kind of meh for me. I'm not a big fan of like Kay's school friends, so that side of things is kind of bad to me. But, um, yeah, we'll see. This could be a, a, a tricky turn of events. I'm glad that Kay has a place you can go to just be happy still. So I I hope that she gets on set and they're like you're you're playing the histor you know this historical person and uh But I'm not that person. <laughs> and she's like Call up that historical person. I need I need you to talk to their descendants to tell they're like you want me to talk to Mark Anthony's descendants? <laughs> It's not like we will call up some <laughs> random person in Greece, and that should chances are they have a little bit of a connection there. Um, yeah. So it looks like she's going to be doing something between the, before that movie. Kind of, I don't know, like it's one of those things. I guess they can keep adding stuff as they need to. It is one of those things where I'm like, are they speed tracking to an end here? Because it sounds like that movie's the end of the series. Like, the big project that Kuriyama wants to do with, with uh, K and all the people that he's kind of developing yeah. for this. That. <laughs> Possibly. I guess we'll see. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Boruto. Yeah. Ninja Man. Six. True identity. Uh, big color spread page for Kashin, Ko- Kashin Koji. Um fire everywhere he looks very fire nation-y with all the red uh, clothing that he's got and the and the logo's on fire behind him Foosh. he has a lot of fire powers didn't use him today but he has a lot of fire no powers. fire at all featured in this chapter none he's trying to kill jigen they start fighting this is a very weird chapter because they're fighting and at different points during their fight Keep in mind, Naruto and Shikamaru and Sasuke and Amado and everyone else in that room is watching this fight happen via a spy frog. Wow. You know, I didn't have an issue until until you said, I was like, they are watching it, which does make the way this conversation flows much worse. In my mind, I was like, oh, they don't really know what's happening. So this is... This is like that thing where we're kind of seeing somebody try to do it, but we're also hearing the other person and they kind of explain these details and things like that. Meanwhile, this is like a great UFC fight is happening and some dude's like, all right, so this is how you... Let me explain (laughs) what the origin of fighting is. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I mean, I guess. So that's going on. And Amato is is like talking about stuff. He's like, well, you see... And ordinarily, you know, Koji and I, you know, we're, we're, we were just playing at being members, but we want to take him down. And, you know, this is a big opportunity for us because Jigen was severely drained in the battle against you. So he's trying to finish him off right now. And 
Kashin Koji had just said, like, my reason for existing is killing you. And Jigen's like, you're a pathetic man. No matter which way you put it, in the end, you're nothing more than a tool being used by Amado. And Kashin Koji says, well, yeah, I'm fine with being a tool. That's what Shinobi are. It's rubbish. Because he's very British, apparently. Kashin Koji spits some fire. And Jigen absorbs it with the with the karma. Uh, Kashinkoji uses toad oil bombs, which are they're explosive. I know there's it's a spray like, of liquid <laughs> that gets all over him, and after it lands on him, there are toads on him, and then they explode into fire. Yeah, like, come on, you you have a couple of those at home, right? Like, in your sink. Exploding fire frogs? Yeah, yeah, in case there's, like, a bunch of, like, uh, like some mosquitoes that are really annoying. You throw this down, the toads pop up, they eat the mosquitoes, but then to clean up the toads, they explode afterwards, and thus, you have no more issues, you know? Otherwise, you'd have to get a snake to eat the frogs, and then you have the snakes, you gotta get a bunch of mongooses, the mongooses are problems, so you gotta get, like, a tiger. You kinda escalate it. Tiger, mongoose to tiger is kind of a big jump. There's no getting rid of tiger. You just have to accept that you have a new backyard friend, and, uh, and keep I, it- I hope that he's friendly. Yeah, you have to regularly feed them. It's very- <laughs> a lot of It's very important you do that part. <laughs> Don't feed them by hand, ever. <laughs> Kawaki, observing the fight, says, Raising the thermal power with oil won't matter. It still won't stand up to karma. And sure enough, Jigen, shortly afterward, absorbs the flames with with karma. So, Naruto thinks to himself, The way that mask guy fights, it's like... Dot, dot, dot. He used frogs. He fights like Jiraiya. That's the point. He, he used frogs. Like, Maybe he's he Jiraiya. Fight. He either fights like Jiraiya or he fights like Naruto. These are the only two people who use frogs. <laughs> so they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. Uh, there is a really cool shot where Jigen shrinks himself down and just throws chakra rods into uh, one of Kashinkoji's shadow clone's eyes. And you see the rods just sticking out of the holes in his mask, which is really cool. Is it cool? I, I had a moment. All right. I, I guess maybe just there was a moment where I was like, the ability to shrink yourself doesn't seem nearly as cool. In a, like, I guess the idea of like a strong, silent type like Jagan doing it was like, I don't know. This feels like something like a slimy, underhanded villain would be very like cool with. But like the idea of like, haha, I'm small now. I guess it's the shot later on where he like jumps into a dude's ear. I'm like, this feels like a we'll children's book. <laughs> 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 like a Blue's Clues episode. They're like, burr, burr, and they spin inside the ear and then there's a whole lesson about how the ear works which i could use not entirely certain how it works i know there's a drum in there but who's playing it boom nailed it all right joke nick joke landed continue <laughs> you lost me about five turns ago so <laughs> jigen is like it seems you are really serious about turning on me kashing koji i do hope you're prepared to die and kashing koji says that's my line lord jigen or rather, Otsusuki Ishiki. What? The guy who's really an Otsusuki is really an Otsusuki? Oh, well, don't worry, guys. There's this big, long explanation that really comes down to really just kind of like very small differences that nobody should actually care about <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. Well, this guy was a bad guy who was going to turn into an Otsutsuki. Instead, he's a bad guy who's going to turn into an Otsutsuki. That's what it really actually boils down to. 
but it's it's it. it's amusing because I'm playing a lot of Phoenix Wright uh, and recently, and there's a moment where like when someone's like, "Wait a minute, this doesn't make sense." That it kind of opens up everything. So the moment Sasuke is like, "Wait a minute, didn't you say that like wh- what happens once karma is completely used up?" They're like, "Oh, well then it's just gone." He's like. But that doesn't make sense because he should already have been used up by now and he still has it. You're like, oh man, this is going to open things up. They're like, uh, no, he couldn't use it on him at the time. So he jumped in his ear and he mind controlled him and then put it on him afterwards. And then it'll take effect. You're like, what a weird, like, jump around we had to do to explain all this. So Otsuzuki Ishiki is the other Otsuzuki who came to Earth with Kaguya of forever ago. As I mentioned earlier, their obje- this is a matter of talking. Their objective was to plant the divine tree and harvest its chakra fruit. But then a problem arose. Kaguya suddenly turned against Ishiki. Oh, I. <laughs> You'll find out later, I guess. But the important thing is that it happened. Caught off guard, Ashiki suffered enough damage to be on the verge of death, but he took over the body of a novice monk who happened to be nearby. That unfortunate man was Jigen. And then he marked him with karma. And before I answer what happened then, hey, Naruto, you should give me asylum. I'm formally requesting it. Uh, and I, I, I want all the paperwork brought to me and stuff before I remove the explosive device from Shikadai. And I want to sign that. And Naruto's like, yeah, okay. Anyway, what Sasuke was saying was actually pretty accurate. Anyway, I have five more paragraphs to explain this thing while a fight is going on in the background between two people who are trying to murder each other. It is on the TV. It is so strange once you brought that up. I didn't realize it because I I did take note of it when I first read the chapter. I was like, oh, they're watching this. It's kind of interesting because I guess I just forgot from last time. But it is very amusing that they have this little whole explanation while this is going on. And it makes the end of the chapter even weirder because it's like, ha, I used real fire to actually hurt you. And like, it looks like it's kind of effective. And then Amato's like, now I'll tell you how to actually kill one of these people. And you're like, I <laughs> oh, mean, it looks like he's doing a good job of it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know, I guess, I guess just watch the TV, actually. I guess that's, they're actually, that, he's been doing a really good job of showing what you need to do. <laughs> Mato's just like one of those guys who just like is never interested in watching TV, so he just has to talk during it. And <laughs> oh, he's the worst. Okay, I thought I thought endangering a child was the worst quality he has, but if he talks during television, he's even worse than I thought. I talk during television too, but I at least talk about what we're act- what's actually on yeah. TV. But <laughs> so he explains that whenever the karma is fully you know acclimated or whatever then the real otsuzuki emerges and then we get this explanation of like well you see he didn't just put the karma in his body he used his shrinking powers to shrink down and turn into a yerk and go into jigen's body through his ear and absorb nutrients from his body like a parasite and control his brain yep see whenever you just open your series up to ninjutsu came from space aliens then you just all bets are off and weird shit happens i can't even question any of this anymore sure he turned into an alien parasite and controlled his brain fine there is literally no limit to what can happen there are lightsabers in naruto now you can't question any of how any jutsu works ever again it's it's interesting because you're like oh Oh, it's starting to become a lot more obvious how you're going to try to be like, 
Yeah, Samurai 8 and Boruto take place in the same universe. <laughs> also, I love the panel where he goes in here because it's so unelegant. It's there might as well have been like a big plunk sound effect, like plunk, <laughs> as he just hops into the ear. <laughs> it's so lame. It takes over his body, it's controlling his brain, and <laughs> just a little whoosh. So. Jigen, or Ishiki controlling Jigen, is fighting Kashin Koji, and they're fighting, and they're fighting, and Kashin Koji summons a swamp jutsu thing to make the entire ground underneath them all grorpy, and it starts to swallow up uh, Jigen, and he's like, I've got you now, and then Naruto's like, well, hold on, he looks like he might kill him right now, but let's talk a lot more. (laughs) So, he says, Jigen's got the karma then, so why doesn't Ishiki just arrive, you know, revive and already then? And Amado says, well, the most important factor in betting a karma is the right target, the vessel. And Jigen was just someone who had to be nearby. Ishiki's chakra was too massive for him. And Jigen's body is inadequate to be the vessel. So a new vessel was been repaired instead. And that's Kawaki, of course. Anyway, a fight's still going on. So Jigen is still sucking that swamp. Mm-hmm. And Kawaki is like... Uh, and Jigen tries to get out of the ground and um, Kashin Kochi reveals that there is a giant sigil in the ground, a giant ritual circle and he, he casts a summoning jutsu and fire emerges and so Jigen's just like whatever, more fire, I'll use karma to absorb it <laughs> why can't I absorb them and Kashin Kochi says this is not katon I summoned real fire from faraway flaming mountains. They are splendid natural flames, not chakra derived or derived. So you can't absorb them with karma. So basically now this does ask it's real fire naturally occurring. Therefore it's not chakra powered. Therefore it can't be counteracted by a chakra thing. This does bring up a point. If you set something on fire with chakra, at what point does it become real fire and not chakra fire? Or does it ever become real fire? Never. Anyway. <laughs> so Amado is like, yeah, they're fighting. Anyway, so uh, Jigen's going to kill him, I guess. It's because I'm going to keep on and go on and tell you how to actually kill an Otsutsuki. Because the chapter ends with Ishiki just be, he's just got fire everywhere all over him. So not, he's not gonna die. yeah, I was gonna say not the worst ending of a chapter this week. We'll get to that briefly. Uh, but you know, it's sort of an odd end of the chapter when you're like, so are you gonna just explain what we're watching, or is this not the way to do it? If so, why was this perfectly created soldier to kill Ishiki be bad at? Like, I just I don't know if he's just gonna explain what we're seeing on TV. Which I guess he could do. Maybe things get more complicated than like, oh, you set him on fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. Seems kind of easy. So I don't know. You shoot him with this gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's like, hey, you just don't use shocker. Like, oh, so if I just throw like a hundred grenades at him, he'll just blow up. Like, oh, yeah. Like everything in this world would. If so you just shoot is, him a bunch. So what you're saying is whatever thing we use to attack them, it has to be something that is not shocker derived, like a weapon of some sort. And suddenly there's 
Content and comes bursting in. My time has come. <laughs> They're like, no, no, we invented lightsabers. Sorry, your time actually passed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Are you good at throwing lightsabers? No, that's the one thing up. I can throw a person. I can throw a person holding a lightsaber. Nah, it's just a step too far. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be too cluttering. <laughs> you know? Don't worry. We're gonna have something big for you to do just around the corner. Just trust us. Hey Sasuke, remember that one time that you transformed into a shuriken and I threw the real shuriken with the act with you as the fake shuriken behind it, and then you anti-transformed. Behind- <laughs> Yeah, way simpler plan than Ten Ten's <laughs> dumb throw person holding a lightsaber plan. Ah, <laughs> oh, poor Ten Ten. So yeah, this was very weird, very awkwardly paced. I mean, like, would it have killed you to put the discussion bubbles over the images of them fighting to make it more interesting, at least, instead of having a very weird pacing issue? Yeah. Let's anyway. well, speed through Spy Family, Nick, and then you have to you don't have to talk for a little bit. My family chapter 27 Anya took the midterms and uh, we don't see any of how that went we just see the tests are being dropped off in a vault to make sure oh. that nobody messes with them oh this was Anya's midterms I thought they were my midterms because they came back average which is what I always scored so it makes sense that though this the manga wasn't about my scores huh Quarantine brains got me real weird, Nick. (laughs) So we find out that Lloyd has decided that he needs to cheat on Anya's behalf because he is dead certain that she has failed. And we see a little image of Anya going, hey, so that's his evidence for thinking that she failed, I assume. So he's going to infiltrate the vault in order to just change her scores uh, and make sure that she gets, you know, passing grades and stuff. So he's in disguise and uh, he's like, all right, I'm going to infiltrate and I'm going to make sure that uh, I don't arouse any suspicions at the school after I'm done. I have to be flawless with in, in this plan. And then he looks over and he sees a very obviously shady guy wearing a straw hat. He's sneaking in and he's like, and he's like, that guy could not be acting more suspiciously if he tried. And we get a little bit of narration from this guy's perspective saying, my code name is Daybreak. I'm an elite spy. My mission is to change the midterm test answers. What? How did I get my code name? Well, they say this country has been infiltrated by a master spy named Twilight who works for the West. So I named myself Daybreak in anticipation of the day he and I would match wits. The Daybreak of the East bring the end of the Twilight of the West. He's such a nerd. I fucking this dude is so dumb and stupid and he's my favorite character in all of spy family now fuck the dog i want daybreak daybreak does seven sequential combat rolls and ends on a pose um and lloyd is like what the fuck is that guy doing he's going to ruin my plan to alter the test course uh he nearly runs flat into a security patrol and then just acts like a sign on a lamppost. <laughs> What's very amusing about this chapter to me 
is it kind of destroys part of the premise of the series yes. that like Lloyd couldn't just break in and find the person he needs to and get to them that way that he has to like go through this whole lab like my child needs to become an A student so I can meet them naturally. Meanwhile, this fucking goober is just getting past every level of security by pure dumb luck. <laughs> well, and also with a little bit of help from Lloyd, I, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so he gets past the guards who just don't spot him hanging from a lamppost, I guess. Uh, and then Lloyd's like, all right, well, I, I need to remove him before I get into the building. Perhaps I could sneak up on him while he's focused on picking the lock. And they break sure enough. It's like, huh, the door's locked. <laughs> Breaks the window and it reaches in to unlock it from the inside. <laughs> so Lloyd does a couple of things to try and cover his tracks. Um, Daybreak very nearly gets spotted because he spots a security guard inside and nearly knocks a statue over. So the guy's like, oh, oh, you must be one of the faculty, right? I'll need to see some ID. And Dave is like, uh, I'm from, you know, information sciences. Remember, I'm that guy. The famous one. <laughs> oh, the famous one. Okay, gotcha. And that will go right in, yeah. So he keeps on acting suspicious. The guy's about to call the police. So Lloyd comes in. He's like, hey, you dropped this ID on the ground, didn't you, over there? It must belong to you. And Daybreak's like, I don't know anything about no spot. <laughs> You're Mr. Brown, the newly hired professor, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, this is your ID that you would need to get inside the vault. Like, but it's not my wallet. <laughs> you really, I'm shocked nobody's shown they, they done that meme yet. <laughs> so... Lloyd hands off the the ID to him, and when he does, he sees that the guy's just got the details of his mission just written down on his hand, like the Rock's promo notes. <laughs> and uh, so he's you know, Lloyd's acting like a teacher too. They go on inside, and so Lloyd's got to be thinking like, all right, well, the student registration numbers they had written down in his hand those are the those are the Desmond brothers. And of course, we see Damien. We also see his older brother, but his older brother has his back to the viewers. No reveal yet. It's like whenever we saw, you know, the the warlords in One Piece. Uh -huh. so. You just saw a figure. Mm -hmm. So Damien gets to the vault and he's like, all right, I copied on the passcode number for number. Here we go. Oh, no. Did I copy it down wrong? <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to go take a leak. You go ahead. And so <laughs> And Lloyd just thinks to himself as he, as he goes and waits for him to open up the vaults, like, there is no bathroom in this entire building. I just love him, too. Every level of him knowing, he's like, this motherfucker is just walking away. So the moment I open the door, he can just smack me in the back of the head. And, and of course, as soon as he opens the door, sneak attack! <laughs> That's out loud. Thanks for the help, moron. Bam. I love that he shit talks. It's a dude who's so helplessly non self aware, unself aware that he's just like, gotcha, nerd. Bam. So he goes to uh, the answers and he's like, oh man, the boxes are locked too. Uh, uh, uh. And eventually, I guess he gets the, the boxes open and then he's like, all right, mission accomplished. Uh, and then he poses. He's like, I tremble in my own genius. I may well have surpassed Twilight himself. Sorry, Twilight. Poor Fitter. Nah, I'm going to grab a steak on the way home. And Lloyd's just like, 
stop bragging and leave. Just let me accomplish my mission. <laughs> so he's like, when people hear what I pulled off, I'll have more clients than I'll know what to do with. I might even get my name in the papers. Well, no, not in the papers. I am a spy after all. I guess no one will ever really know who I am. I know. I'll just sign my name in the document <laughs> for marketing. <laughs> I love, and it's even like the, like Lloyd's like, holy shit, you're the like he can't help himself. He's like, you're the dumbest spy. Nicole and I are watching Deep Space Nine together, uh-huh. and one of the recurring characters on the show, my favorite character in like all of Star Trek, is Garrick, who was a spy when he before he was outcast by his people, and uh, he has like regular meals with one of the main characters on the show, Bashir who uh, gets this holodeck program so that he can go and play James Bond. And so Garrick happens to show up while he's playing James Bond. He's like, this is like the most unrealistic portrayal of being a spy ever. I wish that instead of, you know, like a competent person like Bashir, that he'd been stuck with just this guy in like every single step of the way. (laughs) I'll sign my name so that people know that I've been pulled off this mission. So, of course, Lloyd just literally just gets up. He's like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> so he's like, oh, no, um, I didn't see anything. I won't say a word. Spare me, please. He's like, God, am I going to have to kill this guy? And Daybreak's just like, what are you talking about, dude? Tell everyone I did this. The world must know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so... I don't know why. It's like just the right level of absurdity to it that every step he's like, oh my god, I'm he's gonna kill. He's gonna try to go after this person I'm impersonating now. I have, I might have to kill him. He's like, what do you mean, dude? Why don't you tell everybody about this? I want everyone to know what a big deal I am. He's like, make sure that you tell everyone about this and make it sound good. Make it sound like you know, maybe I went through walls or caught a bullet between my fingers. But don't share any details about the mission I just pulled off. Those are secret. Bye. <laughs> Combat rolls away. <laughs> So Lloyd checks on the work the Daybreak did first. He's like, all right, clearly I've got to make sure that nobody discovers that he forged these. Uh, But he realizes, oh, he wasn't hired by the Desmonds. He changed their grades so that they would get failing scores. So possibly the client is one of Donovan's business or political rivals. So he's like, all right, well, I've got to, you know, revert these back uh, and I can still make out what he erased and I'll, of course, erase his fucking signature. Um, and uh, he sees that, like, you know, both of the Desmonds are exceptional students, especially the older one. He barely got a single question wrong. So this uh, older brother of Damien's is really being built up. In stark contrast, let's take a look at Anya's test. He flips through the papers. He has, he's like, it's a shocked expression on his face. It narrows his eyes. We cut ahead to five days later. The midterm results are out. Damien did really well. He's 11th in the class, uh, had one of the top two scores in history. So his friends are congratulating him. They're like, you got to get a stellar star. Good job. And then we cut over to Anya and Becky. And Becky's like, all right, well, I got 46. That's still pretty good. Hey, Anya, where'd you land? Uh, I guess we. And so one of Damien's friends is like, better count from the bottom. It'll be quicker. But Anya is just very right. Yeah. <laughs> Anya's like, <laughs> and she thinks to herself, the truth is, I already know how I did on the test because I read Papa's mind after he snuck into the school. And she's got this confident look on her face. And Becky's like, oh, there you are, Anya. You're 213th after out of 228 students. 
And she's like, oh, don't feel bad, Anya. You'll do you'll do better next time. And of course, but Damien observes, well, at least it doesn't look like you failed in any one subject. And that's why Anya's happy. She's like, that's right. I didn't fail a single test. And because of me, Papa's mission survives for another day. And we actually cut to her memory of uh, Lloyd arriving from the school and him patting her on the head and being like, nice work. I'm proud of you. I was like, oh, very sweet. So very nice. And I, I really do appreciate this way of going about things. Anya didn't cheat. Lloyd didn't cheat. She just worked really hard. And she wasn't suddenly an incredible student, but her hard work paid off. That's really nice. Yep. She arrives home, has the test scores, and he's like, I did great on the test. And Lloyd's like, you nearly failed every single subject. Because she's in the 30s on, like, everything. So don't, don't be proud of yourself. And he's like, but I thought. it's like, no, I've, you're, I'm going to have to be stricter with you in order for you to do better. But I expect her to fail at least one subject. This is an impressive result by her standards, I suppose. Her efforts have kept the operation alive of only barely. Maybe I should be grateful for that. And uh, so that's nice. So, of course, they've got to, you know, work harder from here. But it's a nice little thing that happened. And then we cut in the final panel over to Daybreak, who is being blamed by his client because he failed in his mission. He's like, what? No, no, I didn't fail. I did exactly what he No, you can't fire me. My legend has only just been born. I love Daybreak. He's the best. Um, what what a treasure! I am a little bit disappointed that we didn't actually see any of the test process. Um, we just kind of like, but I do understand why because you know it was to leave the mystery and to see how Anya actually did without it. And I do just appreciate the very straightforward approach. Just like she did okay. Yep, she did not do great, but she did well enough all in her own. So. All right, let's talk, Nick, about Eden Zero, Chapter 94, Shiki versus Draken. Of course, it wouldn't be uh, an Eden Zero chapter in the past two months. We did talk about the character file at the front. This time, it's about Sister, Sister Ivory. Uh, her big thing is healing. She's very good at healing. Um, it's kind of insulting because they kind of, like, really go in big on it, where it's, like, things she likes, torture, things she doesn't like. Things that can't be healed. I'm like, it's, it's the lamest one yet. And the special bonus one is healing. It's yeah. like it's not sadism or anything. It's yeah. Kind of, it's at that point. You're like, why wasn't witches like ether power or well, I guess she did have ether power on there. So I guess maybe that's why they didn't. But it is weird. That, like healing. Is it grouped in with ether power or something like that? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, she also has a, apparently her lock screen is a picture of Rebecca, which that feels like maybe it's a like a like a consensual picture. But if it's not, that feels very weird. Yeah, we just talked about portrait rights, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, it's ridiculous. So we open up uh, Shiki and Draken. Uh, they went down a big hole. And oh God, I uh, can't remember her name. Fake Lamilia. Fake Lamilia. Uh, Amira. That was it. Amira. Uh, she's like, all right, you know, just let them go down there. They're going to keep Draken busy. We need to get over to his life support tank. And all of us play an important role here. Uh, Rebecca, you're very important. So you can't be down there with Draken. He needs you. So we need to keep you as far away from him as possible. We need Wise and Pino to take her with the device. Sabir is going to take us there. Uh, Happy will be the bodyguard. Moscow is like, what role do I get to play? And he's like, 
nothing. I guess he'll just go around saying Moskoy. And he's like, you're starting to really weigh on my nerves. And he said that earlier. And he also says it later. I don't... I guess it's a new character gimmick of his. Because him saying Moskoy isn't enough. Or maybe this is some idea that maybe the timelines are changing. I can't tell if this is intentional or not. So, I don't know. He's just saying it a lot now. Uh, we cut over to Shiki and Draken, who are having their big fight. Uh, Draken turns his hand to iron and just punches Shiki in the head. And then he kind of shows that his powers are absurdly broken. So, like, Shiki does his whole, like, I'm going to grab a bunch of rocks. And I'm going to shoot them forward to you with with uh, with gravity. And Draken's like, oh, I didn't I didn't think you could do that. But I just turned your rocks into explosives. Kaboom, boom, boom. Just to, like, causes a bunch of explosions. He's like, now the ground's explosions. <laughs> now the ground's electricity. Like, what the fuck? You're like, dude, this dude's ridiculously strong. Um, and basically, like, he's, he's he's beating Cheeky up, basically. Yeah, but then immediately he loses all the momentum he built up by trying to do a Bond one-liner, mm-hmm. and it completely falls on its face. Yeah, so, so Cheeky basically he says something like, oh, you can fly. And Cheeky's like, no, I fell onto the ceiling because I'm using gravity. He's like, fell onto the ceiling? Oh, you're definitely going to fall all the way to hell. And you're like... It. You're like, Kevin Dunn shouldn't be allowed to write promos, guys. He's just not good <laughs> at it. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think that he's got... I, I don't think that uh, she's hot, so uh, she can't be a wrestler. <laughs> I know everything about wrestling. Huh? Uh, we cut over to Homura, and I imagine somewhere out there there's a person who was actually tangibly angry at this chapter, or at this page. <laughs> Get in the bikini. Yeah, because she starts by being like, Oh, right. I have an app that changes my garments. I was very close to just putting on one of those dancer outfits. And there's somewhere out, someone out there who's just like, I want to see her more in a dancing outfit. Well, she's don't, don't have a little hope, guys. Yeah, she does. She says, I might try one on later. Yeah, she's very excited to wear one. So uh, she talks a little bit with Lobelia. Uh, basically, it's just like, hey, I, I don't really know everything about what's going on here. Uh, but we're going to get you some shelter anyway. And by the way, I'm a friend of Rebecca. She came here to save you. So I'm I'm going off. I'm mean with my companions for I wield my sword in defense of my friends. I fight for my friends. Mm-hmm. And we cut over to Self. She's uh, crying on the ground because uh, she got beat. And her little uh, emotion suppressor is like, ooh, fatal error. Can't. So she's just saying, oh, help me, brother. And uh, yeah, she's, she's like a turtle who fell on her back. Uh, we cut over to, I presume this is the life support chamber. It seems very fancy and looks like a life support chamber. Uh, and they're like, oh, so this is the life support chamber, huh? And she's like, oh yeah, that's not all. There's, there's a secret behind this device that you'll never believe. But before they can do it, there's a bunch of wind and it, it cuts life knives. And who should be there but Jin and he's all powered up and stuff. And he's like, I'm going to beat you. Uh, he's, Pretty he, much. Yeah, he's he's very strong. Moskoy is like, ah, Jin, my buddy. Remember we were part of that group on Gilst? And he goes up to, like, hug him. And Jin just blows him away with wind. And Moskoy almost pushes his button, but he doesn't. And Weiss is just like, all right, forget about Moskoy for now. And Moskoy's like, you're starting to get on my nerves. And the chapter just ends. It's the weirdest 
goofiest ending to this chapter is like, rule of threes, we got the third, Moscow says you're starting to weigh on my nerves of the chapter. Okay. So, this chapter, um... Blows. Yeah. Hard. So, uh, <laughs> I thought we were going to do the one word of This is just, like, the embodiment of, like, why I don't like most of Eden Zero, which is that it comes down to Hero has all these assorted characters as part of the main cast who are literally just there so that he can do one gag with them over and over and over again with with and now he's like got this big giant guy who is is worthless and is called worthless by one of the other characters essentially and it would have been funny if it had just ended at Amira just saying like I don't know. I guess that you'll, you know, say Moscow in order to provide some comic levity, I guess. And that's it. But instead, it's like there's more stuff with him. And he tries and like he's doing this stuff like you're weighing on my nerves. It's like nobody cares, Moscow. Go away. (laughs) You suck. No one likes you. (laughs) Look, I I why did they bring him on this mission? (laughs) Well, that's, that's like that feels like part of it, too, where you're just like there's this big thing about how Rebecca jumped backwards in time and it really doesn't feel like they've utilized that gimmick at all because at some point you're like is there a reason they brought Moscow along and maybe there is I mean obviously he's a deus ex machina that just will perpetually exist why does he have a belly button that says don't push with a button there surely one day they're gonna press it. he's gonna turn into a super ultra mega form he'll probably be hot then too because that's the way hero does these things but I just, it's one of those things you're like, no one knows why he's here now. And we just added a new character trait of his because he's, this is like 90% more talking than he's done. So it's just a very weird time to be like, let's expand on Moscow's character comedically exclusively, though. Just comedically. It's just adding another gag. It, yeah. It, I mean, this, that's what's annoying about this is that there are characters that can just be summed up by this is their running gag. Mm-hmm. And he, that makes them quirky and that makes them fleshed out and it's annoying. And it, it, it didn't help that, you know, Homer's was re- re- referenced again too. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> All right, Nick, let's do it. Ah! Bone collection. Bone collection is ready. I, wish <laughs> can we just talk about the wrestling scene from the first spider-man film instead of this fucking series because <laughs> this one clinches it this is the chapter where it's just like all right you're not a comedic action series this is just a gag manga with occasional random fight scenes thrown into it and everything about it screams like this is just a gag manga there are ceaseless, relentless, off-color jokes in this. Characters are... Everyone's an asshole. Name me a character that is admirable in this series. I fucking dare you. I dare you to name me one character in this series that you can point to and go, I kind of like them, that didn't get killed off horribly in the flashback (laughs) in the first chapter. Uh, yeah. No, I guess you're, uh... I, I guess you're right. 
Even Pyra, who had a little bit of humanity in the first two chapters because she had a goal and dreams, is just a goddamn asshole in this one. She's a she's jealous really, bitch now. She's riding around in Kazami's brother, making him bark like a dog as she forces him to be her slave, lest he his secret about dressing in a school swimsuit get out. She... Here's that Kazami's gone to school. So she immediately is like, I'm going to school too. Kazami is, guess what? Talking about boobs with his friends. She shows up and is like, you dare cheat on me? I've got plenty of boobs. And she's like, what are you doing here? There is one joke that is at least not offensively bad. I don't think it's funny, but it's not bad. Where Kazami's brother shows up and is like, yeah, so this girl wants to attend school, and I'll vouch for her. And so the principal's like, well, what's her relationship to you? And Pyra's like, listen, if if you don't fucking tell them it's something that'll let me, put me into this school, then I'm going to tell them about your weird perversion. And so he's like, she's my daughter. And the principal's like, how old is she? 19. How old are you? 21. <laughs> okay, that's kind of funny. But then the principal's like, I mean, this is way too suspicious. I can't do this brother takes out some money okay there you go that's how you do it isn't this a high school yeah i believe so maybe it's partially an exorcist school as well maybe i don't know so I'm, I, I might just be distracted based on the fact that the only two characters we know from the school are exorcists so yeah uh reno shows up as well as like that's a girl from yesterday said uh, you said fiance instead of niece though and apparently she's your niece and so oh they're fighting over kazami uh, and there are weird things because like reno knows how many moles are on various parts of kazami's body uh but she doesn't know his birthday yeah i don't like what a weird gap in her knowledge she's like i know how many moles he has on his butt cheeks but fuck is he a may or a january <laughs> like so they're gonna fight now mm -hmm. just and reno's like well if you're born into an exorcist family then you'll have some innate talent so if you're part of the family then you've got to prove it to me but little does she know pyra actually used one of her bones in order to summon a not Nintendo, Zvich, with a V. And with that, it summons a double of her that Kazami can control in the fight like it's a fighting game. So they have a fight, and they make really weird jokes during the said fight, um, including when Reno casts chains around her body, and Pyra's like, oh, she's restricted my movement. Well, too bad. I enjoy being tied up. Okay, so Reno gets really upset when an observer says that Pyra is a better fighter than her. So she starts going berserk and they go crazy. Pyra's like, fighter. And Kazami's like, the school is going to be destroyed. Let me fight. No, let me go. And as a result of them fighting over the controller, the fake Pyra's head twists around 180 degrees. And Reno's like, ah, and faints. Uh, and... Pyra's like, I won, uh, which prompts Kazami to smack her on the back of the head because he's not a big enough dick bag already. 
And then it's like, no, this gag manga has a plot. The Exorcism Federation <laughs> headquarters is coming for you. And then Pyra's hair has started to turn from white to uh, darker color. So it's a show that uh, some of her powers are fading. I get the feeling that her color is going to change colors really fucking quickly if there's any goddamn justice in this world. And Kazami's got word that he's got to go and fight an A-rank yokai. Uh, and Reno's going on the mission along with someone named Akifuyu Abe that Pirate has heard before. So, Yep. So, Chris, are we going to read this manga anymore? Well, I don't really want to. Do you want to, Nick? No! Okay. But... I do recall several months ago <laughs> an agreement to bring Spy Family to the recap. There was a veto of some sort to bring any series into the recap that was necessary. I feel like Bone Collection might be necessary. Nick, I'm cashing in my money <laughs> If I had a briefcase, ah, this is John Cena to ruin the cash in where I need him. <laughs> this is why I wish I had a briefcase to open up. If you had a briefcase, I wouldn't even be angry right now. Honestly. I really, I tried to find one. The closest thing Aww. I could find was a book you, bag. You planned this? <laughs> Oh, yeah. The moment I read the first chapter of this series, I was like, this Fucker. is fucking garbage. I'm going to make sure we have to read this all the way to its 19th chapter conclusion. Because <laughs> trust me, I'm going to go out on the record and you can quote this all the time if this ends up being a success. This manga is fucking garbage. It's going to be over in fucking 16 or 18 chapters. There's no way this is a successful manga. <laughs> but... If you, we're gonna being wrong about, if you end up being wrong about that, then like as soon as... Uh, oh, like, it's just in here forever then. <laughs> as soon as volume one, you know, debuts to like three million copies that same week, Rizu and Seikijo are just going to have a, like an 18 page long makeout in that chapter. <laughs> like by that point, we'll be into like Asumi's uh, uh, arc and it, randomly they'll look over and it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, they're just like all over each other. Look at them. <laughs> <laughs> and like Seikicho will like look at them and very explicitly say, we are not doing this for any sort of attention grabbing stunt. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick, <laughs> Nick, you should get, buy Chris a pizza. <laughs> I get to enjoy a pizza while I enjoy the next chapter of Bone Collection. I can't wait. <laughs> this quarantine started. 2020's turning around, Nick. If we're gonna if we're gonna do this, I'm gonna have to decide which character is Macho Man. It's probably it's probably Pyra. <laughs> oh. 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 All right. Oh. Mashal chapter one hundred chapter fifty. I wish that Mashal would just get to chapter to one hundred chapters. It would be nice. It would be nice to have that you know assurance in my life. You know. Chapter 15, Mash Van Dead and the Giant Forest Scorpion. Spoilers, there is a giant forest scorpion in this chapter. <laughs> well, you look, there might be one. If you blink, it's gone. <laughs> You'll never spot it if you're not looking close. <laughs> it's like a Where's Waldo. You kind of have to be paying attention. On some level, this chapter actually disappointed me. 
Um, it's not a bad chapter, but MASH does not just punch this dude in the face eight, eight more times. times. <laughs> it was so satisfying last chapter. No chapter that features a particular moment that this series, that this chapter features could be called a bad chapter. But I just wanted to get that out there. I did want to see him just punch this guy <laughs> eight more times. <laughs> but that, an asshole. So the MASH, you know, gets up from where he was sitting down waiting for uh, the guy to get up. He's like, are you ready for number three? And immediately he's like, this is bad. If he punches me again, I'll die. Got to think. I need a plan. I need. And suddenly a shadow has fallen over the both of them. And he looks up and a giant fucking scorpion whose eyeballs are bigger than them is, has suddenly descended on both of them. And it goes. <laughs> If it's bizarrely human mouth, just realize that. Anyway, he's like, oh, yes, a higher level forest scorpion is here. Now I can just make my escape while it and Mushroom Head are fighting. And the scorpion tries to attack and Mash just kind of does something. I'm not sure what he does, but he throws his arm backwards and the scorpion ricochets off a tree and goes flying into the air immediately. Done. And... We're on chapter six, and that's the last appearance of the giant force scorpion <laughs> in the chapter named after it. <laughs> Mash apparently wasn't even looking, didn't even know what he hit because he's like, I'm busy right now. Sorry. <laughs> so again, the guy's like, I earned two gold coins in my first year. It can't end like this. But Mash just suddenly goes, let's call it quits here. I feel kind of bad for you. And the guy just kind of slumps over. Then Mash looks at the girl who had, you know, drawn Barrett into this whole situation and she thinks, I didn't think that Silva would lose. What do I do? I could be next. So she says, sob. There are no asterisks around that word bubble. So I'm going to assume she says sob. Knowing this series, she probably did. She goes, I'm sorry. He made me do it and I was scared. I had no choice. I'm sorry. I'm such a terrible person. And Mash Comes up behind her and hugs her from behind. Says it's all right. Gives her a big squeeze, and she thinks to herself, I'm "So gullible." Then Mash <laughs> says, "You see, box <laughs> your hands around the waist. German <laughs> suplex. It's such a he. He gets the perfect extension on it too. With the bridge. <laughs> not since. The, not since." The days of Medusa. <laughs> Has anyone heard off a bridging German suplex so perfectly? And she is out. <laughs> and Mash just says, I believe in equality. <laughs> now, I want everyone out there to understand. I think that I'm a feminist. Men should be allowed to punch women is one of the douchiest things that you can do. You have to understand this is fictional, and MASH is a sociopath. <laughs> Which is what makes this funny. <laughs> so, Barra looks on and is like, this guy's got some screws loose. And that was how class came to an end. Yeah, they're like, and the session's over, guys. MASH's friends catch up with him. Lemon observes that MASH is kind of beat up, and he's like, I'm fine. Uh... And so they're like, wow, you beat a Starstone Scorpion. Barrett kind of, you know, seems to, you know, fl fl slump and walk off by himself. 
as he just kind of thinks to himself to himself about what's gone on. And Mash seems to remember what the girl had said in criticism of Barrett. You know, oh, I really dislike hot blooded wannabes like you. But before any of them can do anything, Lemon goes over to Barrett and is like, oh, you you're really banged up, too. Are you OK? And oh, no, Barrett saw a cute girl. And so he's struck once again by Cupid's arrow, which flies through his eye. And I think he actually reacts to the fact the arrow went through his eye because he goes, ah! <laughs> yeah, he actually goes, ah! ah! So, be like, what's wrong with him? Barrett seems to gather himself and he says to Mash, hey, Shroomhead, I'm sorry for getting you caught up in all that. And thanks. Mash paused for a second. He says, well, that's not like you at all. So Barrett starts screaming at him and insulting him instead. So, and ask if he wants to fight. So, what a bizarre friendship these two have struck up, basically. Yep. Lance uh, says to Mash that, oh, I heard that you were targeted. A little bird told me. Well, Langdorm is out hunting for coins, and their sights are set on Adler Dorm. And that second year was probably in on that plan. Uh, they're a dorm made up of the upper crust and their cronies. And as you can imagine, they place birthright above all else. They'll do all they can to prevent us nobodies from getting to the Bureau of Magic. It looks like it's starting. The great war for the coins against Lang's elite, the Magia Lupus. And we get a shot of, you know, like, oh, look, it's the Akatsuki. It's the it's, it's the Ten Espadas, you know, people wearing creepy looking hats and robes. And one's got like a skull staff and one's got crazy eyes and one's got a. Looks like a giant shield. It might be a mirror, maybe something. Yeah, it's something yeah. huge. Oh, look at these weird, these weird villains that they're going to have to deal with. And Mash's response to this as his friends look various combinations of worried and confused is Magia Lupus. I used to make up stuff like that when I was 12. I don't know who says okay then at the end because it's very funny <laughs> either way. I want it to be Lance, though, that he does this big like, you have to understand the the Langdorm is coming for us. They do not want anyone that is low level of us to to reach the magic bureau and they're going to send all their might after us with the magia lupus and he's just like that name's kind of stupid like <laughs> well okay then <laughs> good talk mash lance is getting used to mash being an idiot <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah fun chapter still wish that mash would have punched that guy eight times yeah that but other than that yeah let's talk about mission yuzakura family Mission 35, Library of the Dead. Whoa. I'm going to explain the premise instead of doing this in media res thing and then an explanation of where they are and then picking up the action again. So we're getting back to the plot where, uh, of course, uh, Tayo had gotten that uh, optical storage device from Kurogao during that story arc a little while ago. Shion has a presentation, a briefing for him, saying that, you know, after analyzing it, we found out that there was inside it the guest list for the Yuzakura family wedding reception. Uh, the ninth, for the ninth head, the, you know, their parents' wedding. Most of the guests were everyday people, so this was probably meant to be viewed by regular society. For the Yuzakura family, a wedding reception is just a regular occasion. The main issue is, Tayo, your parents' names are on the guest list. And so this is, of course, a big shock. You know, first of all, you know, this is classified data. How did they get this information? Also, 
clearly from this, we can conclude that there is some connection between the Yozakura and the Asano families before we were born. Tayo is not incredibly shocked to hear this because he explains, I was kind of expecting something like this after Kurogao mentioned the data because he knew who I was. But besides that, I'm more worried about Mutsumi because she's very shocked from this. And Mutsumi is actually just like, Tayo, we need to get a divorce because she's immediately like overwhelmed by the guilds knowing that something has happened to his family because they were involved with the Yozakuras. And Tayo's like, we don't actually know that. You know, we don't, this is barely any information. So let's not jump to conclusions. And even if there was, you know, something to that, this is all in the past. And the only reason I'm with you is because of you. So don't say you want to break up. And they have a sweet little moment. And Chion's like, ah, get a room. Mission now briefing. Please. Tayo pulls one of his, I'm sorry for, you know, trying to ask something selfish of you. But you and Chion gouges him in the eyes like, stop that. You're part of the family. Be, be more selfish. So basically they are going to the library of the dead. In order, which is this secret faculty sponsored by the Spy Association, which gathers information on people who have disappeared. And so if he goes there, he could find out what actually caused his parents' deaths. But you have to be careful because the library is overseen by its caretaker, Mei-chan, who has extendo claws and she'll punish anyone who makes even the slightest noise. Uh, she'll stab you. She'll stab you, but good. Yep. And if you make too loud a noise, she'll actually kill you. An hour goes by as Tayo searches around. He eventually finds the file for his father, Asano Hide. And uh, he's like, all right, you know, he worked in the sales division. Uh, this is why this is his son. This is his second son. He was killed on this date at 39 years. But there is no information regarding the cause of the accident. So he's like, ah, oh, damn it. But then he sees that there is this little indent in the uh tablet that he has picked up and he realizes wait a minute that's the same size as the data sphere that i got so oh he inserts it and it unlocks more information he's like it's also a key so he learns that his family were disposed of by tan popo he has no idea what that means the thing that actually interests me the most about this is that tayo is listed among the people who were killed so that's interesting uh, however, that moment after he observes this and he barely gets any access to that information, suddenly the, the screen blinks and he goes, unauthorized access detected, data will be destroyed, and he manages to barely throw it away before it explodes right in his face. And of course, that explosion, explosion draws the attention of Mei-chan, who's going to go and try and kill Tayo. Shion is... Uh, communicating with him over the radio and is like, you are not going to be able to fight her, so you need to run away. Uh, he uses his, his taser gun to shoot an outlet, overpower the electric grid somehow, and uh, cause the lights to go out. That doesn't work. Mei-chan has really good hearing, so she just uses that in order to track him down in the darkness. Shion tells him to try and make an escape, but Mutsumi grabs the microphone from her and says, take off your earphones right now. So he's like, all right, he does. And Mutsumi cranks the volume all the way up and screams into the microphone. And because Mei-chan has very, very strong hearing, her senses are overwhelmed and she actually passes out from that. And so Taiyo is safe. And that's basically where the chapter ends. Mm. Uh, 
I much more enjoyed the actual briefing part of this chapter than anything that happened in the library, which is why I spent so much less time, comparatively speaking, talking about that. You know, it's another quirky character in, in Yozakura family. Big whoop. But I like seeing the interaction between the three characters as they were discussing information. And, hey, we're leading to things that will actually potentially move the pot forward now. So yeah, that's good. Plus, it's just like the idea of like, you know, at least this one doesn't seem to have a weird obsession with Tayo Mutsumi either. So <laughs> exactly. She she didn't even say his name. She was yeah. just like, someone has disturbed my library. Kill. And that was it. <laughs> that's pretty satisfying. All right. Let's talk about the new Shonen Jump series. Time Paradox Ghost Rider. Ooh. Time Paradox. It's chapter one, Jump Through Weekly Time. I see what you did there. Uh, this is a series with art by <laughs> Sunihiro Date. The last thing we saw from them would have been Cross Account, which was that weird I became Twitter friends with a celebrity thing. Oh yeah, that was that was terrible. Well, Sunihiro Date is not doing the uh, <laughs> not doing the writing for this series. It's been themed on for a person by um, whom, from what I was able to determine in my research, uh, this is like their debut in manga. Okay. So, um, so this is about a manga artist, an unsuccessful manga artist uh, named Tepe. Is his name? I think. Like I've got my notes for this. Tepe, yes. And uh, he's so he's 24. He's trying to get a manga in Jump, but he his editor just keeps on rejecting every single thing that he submits. We see a little bit of him, you know, in kind of his everyday life. He, uh, you know, helps to retrieve a balloon for a person when it seemed the balloon was way too high up. And, you know, he like fell out of a tree after he caught it. So... You know, that's the kind of person that he is. He's always yeah. reaching up for for something that seems unobtainable, basically. Uh, so he is submitting this to literally Shueisha to try and have it appear in Shonen Jump. There are going to be Bakuman comparisons at some point or another as we discuss this manga. It is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um. I do love so, it, though, because so much of this chapter is like jump is strict. Uh, they don't just let any garbage through. You got to make sure you have a great premise, great characters, something new, something fresh, well written, moving. All of it has to be in there. And we're two chapters removed from bone collection. <laughs> You're just yeah, like, yeah, I don't know what the standards that high, my dudes. Also, there's just this one editor, Kikuse, who is constantly looking over Tepe's work. He's just like, no, it's not good. Not gonna, not gonna try and submit to the student meeting. It's not good. It's terrible. Uh, Tepe keeps on trying to barge. He's like, give me another chance. Will you take one more look tomorrow? I'll, I'll draw up another storyboard. And he's like, you're going to draw a new 47 page draft by tomorrow. And Tepe's like, I've got to do it. I've got everything running on this selection meeting. And he's like, fine. If, if I get a moment, I'll glance over it. If you show up on time. So Tepe does this. He's like, I've got, I've got to do this. You know, three days after the, from now, the day after the selection meeting, I'm turning 25 and all the friends I made at school have already gotten steady jobs. I bet I'm the only one who's worried about making rent next month. Oh, to be 25 again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, you know, how long can I just continue doing this though? It makes sense. Cause like you have to take a gamble every time you're trying to do this. And 
if he's literally not getting anything published by that point, then yes, he is approaching the deadline where, you know, you can actually make a debut as far as a lot of people are concerned. So anyway, uh, he tries to look it over and he's like, yeah, I've done it. I've passed this time. I've I've made a good manga. I'm sure this time he manages to get there to have Kikase to take a look at it. Um, Kikase looks at it. and He's like, all right, this is, there's nothing in this. No, there's nothing to this story. What what do you actually find interesting in this? And Tepe says, well, you told me my characters were boring yesterday, so I tried to make the characters unique and quirky. And Tepe looks at my, at Hero and says, a character being quirky and a character being interesting are two separate things. And he's just like, this is not good. And, you know, like, what are you trying to do by publishing manga? We, you know, what is it that you can bring to manga that no one else can? And Tepe just says, look, I just want to make something that a lot of people enjoy. And... Kikase says something which is true, but very harsh, which is if you try and make a manga for everyone, you're going to make a manga for no one. Uh So if you just want to draw something and have people enjoy it, go back home and just bask in the adoration of your friends and family. That's my advice to you. And I'm not submitting that storyboard. Bye. So it's kind of a dick to him, but presumably Tepe has been bothering him for a long time with stuff that he's sick of reading. So. Uh, Tepe walks home, starts to rain. He looks inside and uh, sees some umbrellas for sale. And he's like, if I were to buy an umbrella, it would cost me five days of my food budget. So he's, you know, just working part time jobs in order to have time to, to make manga. He's barely making ends meet, despite the fact that, as we learn, his mother back home is willing to send him money if he needs it. But he's too proud to accept it. He's been working hard ever since he left home to try and do this. He knows that his, you know, friends that went to he went to school with in order to make manga, they're already ahead of him. Um, and so and he's not even visiting home. You know, he's his mom is asking him, can you come home for the holiday? And he's like, no, 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 I've, I've got to work a shift. Uh, and he's like, no, no, I've got enough money. But no, I, I, yeah, he's, he's he's letting his pride basically put him in this bad situation. Very relatable. Uh-huh. Um, but he's finally had enough. He gets back home after this latest rejection. It's raining heavily. He just collapses in, in his, in his home. And he says to himself, if I open my mouth and the words I quit come out, then I'm going to quit. And so he takes a breath and he opens his mouth and he starts to say, I quit. And then lightning strikes his timeshare place or whatever it's called. It's, he's a, he's a tenant at a really rundown building. Basically he's co-op. Uh, he gets up and sees that his his refrigerator and microwave are glowing with electricity. His first instinct is to grab a bucket of water and throw it on there. That'll work. Uh, and everything that was there has kind of melted together afterwards. His fridge is melted shut. The microwave is melted to the top of it. The little toy robot that his friend gave him uh, has melted into it as well. And so he's like, what is this? Is this some sort of sign for God? Why is this happening right when I decided to quit? At that moment, the microwave dings and he's like, what the fuck? He opens the door and there is a volume of Shonen Jump inside. And so he's like, how? How? What? Did I? Did I? Am I hallucinating? Basically, (laughs) did I accidentally put an issue of this in the microwave when I was so tired? So he looks at the magazine and he realizes it's dated for May of 2030, 10 years in the future. 
And so he's like, what? 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 <laughs> and he's like, I know I'm, I'm on candid camera. You know, the cover is a fake and there's just like someone is just, you know, pulling a prank on me. And he flips through and he's like, I don't recognize any of the manga in this magazine. We is all, this for real? We all know One Piece will still be running. Come Absolutely. on. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not a chance. I don't still. recognize any of these manga except One Piece. <laughs> oh, but One Piece is there. Thank God. My comfort blanket. Huh, Kara's still traveling with the Straw Hats, and she's still not called an official member yet. <laughs> she's going to join. Just you wait. After they get to Elbaf, the land of the giants. So he sees on the cover, the color manga, uh, the cover manga is White Knight by Itsuki Aino. And he's like, well, I've never heard of them. So I guess that there's a new artist who debuts uh, within the next 10 years. And he flips it open. He starts reading that uh, first manga and he goes outside and he just screams to the still thundering heavens. It's amazing. It's so good. The characters, the concept that flows perfectly. There's nothing that it was such a perfect chapter. And I cried as soon as I read it. And he's just, you know, he basically barfs out the entire premise in this one panel. I'm not going to bother reading it, but it's really good. Um, and so he's like, well, he says it's really good. The actual description of it sounds very similar to a lot of things, but yeah, I think that it, one of the best things that this chapter does is it does not actually show you white knight mm -hmm. because after this description, it cannot live up to any expectations that you give the readers. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, oh man, man. Oh, I got to go back and read it again. I left it on top of the fridge and it's gone. He's like, well, where did it go? Where's the future jump? Uh, oh, of course, there's no jump from the future. I just went crazy a little bit. But then he realizes, well, wait a minute. If I dreamt it or hallucinated, it, it doesn't matter. That manga I just read is amazing. And he immediately starts drawing. And he's like, I don't care if I just dreamed this up in a weird vision. If it came out of my brain, I need to put this down. And and so he works all through the night, basically. Um. He gets to uh, the Shueisha building again. He's still like wearing the same clothes that he wore the previous day. Um, and uh, he calls up Kikase and he's like, hey, can you take a look at my storyboard? Oh, let's take a minute. I've got a really good one. And Kikase's like, no, the deadline was yesterday. And, you know, if, so Tepe says, well, listen, if this doesn't work, I'll quit. And so Kikase just says, why is that my problem? Quit. <laughs> Again, I do kind of a dick. Well, I do kind of like that though when he's like, "Hold on, I'm going to place the onus of my career on you." Yeah. He's like, "It look, if you if you're going to quit, just quit. Just quit. Yeah. Don't make it dependent on my judgment." It is understandable dickishness basically. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't seen all of the meetings that they've had before that would make you go, "No, no, no. He's totally right to say, "Go away. Yeah. Stop." Stop calling me at like I'm two in the morning. Work. <laughs> I, I have other things to do. <laughs> so Tepe goes for plan B. Breaking inside. <laughs> Just runs past security, presents his manuscript to Kikase. He's like, read it, please. It's a miracle. Kikase gets fed up and just smacks it out of his hands. The pages go flying. And he's like, your manga might as well be a blank stack of paper. There is nothing there on the page. And I've stuck with you out of social obligation. I don't want to see you again. I don't care if you think a miracle has happened. You're, there's nothing that will happen to transform you into a real mangaka from a talentless hack. This is serious business. 
the editor-in-chief arrives and he's like really so kikase you can just tell who has talent and who doesn't that's something i've been in the business 20 years and i still can't tell so i'm glad to see you've got it all figured out i do like that you know very sarcastic thing um so then things get weird Yes, now the the refrigerator and the microwave and the robot melted together and spat out a future manga. And now things get weird. Yeah, things are crazy he, now because he says, why did you go to such extremes? And he's like, I'm just dreaming of being a manga. There's no point in trying tomorrow. And the guy's like, well, I mean, a crime's a crime, but the manga is not responsible <laughs> for trespassing. So I'll read it. Besides, I liked your award winner that you, that you submitted. So that's kind of a nice thing. It's like he remembers when he was in the contest yep. years ago. That's cool. So he says, I don't think we can run this manga in a special issue. And Tepe's like, it's still not good enough. This one will go straight into Shonen Jump. <laughs> it's astounding. <laughs> the light shining behind them. <laughs> and it's getting passed around. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. And Kikusei finally reads it. He's like, this is yours, Tepe? He's like, yes, I made this. So, all right, they're, they're like, it's going to be a hit. It's going to be an overnight success. I'm telling you, it's going to be the biggest thing in the world. So, yay, Tepe did it. Um, and there are people who are, already, who are like, yeah, you know, congratulations. I'm sure we're going to work together and have a good time and stuff. And Tepe is like, I did it. I'm, I can finally see the light of day now. And so he travels back home in order to actually, you know, make sure that he can actually uh, do the best quality and stuff like that. He gets his old classmates to help out on doing, you know, the system work and stuff. And believe it or not, my debut one shot white knight went up against the weekly show and jump lineup. A game first in the reader surveys by a mile one. What? <laughs> fuck, fuck chainsaw, man. Fuck my hero academia. Fuck all of them. White knight. <laughs> it was the best one. Everyone loved it. Everybody loved it. So, um, Oda's like, it was the week Luffy punched and defeated Kato. It's really <laughs> weird, but this fucking white knight was so good. <laughs> oh, man. And that, that's why there's no One Piece in 2030. Oda's just like, in all of my years, I've never done a chapter as good as the white knight one shot. There's no point in trying anymore. <laughs> yeah, he gave, uh, <laughs> He gave uh, uh, Sasuke, uh, Sasaki his pen, and then he put on a little top head. He's like, well, I must go. And then he, a little elevator enclosed around him, and he flew off into space. And it's a moment where you're just like, no, this sounds about right. This sounds about right for Oda. Oda's an alien, and uh, <laughs> manga come from the future. <laughs> And Tepe closed out his narration by saying, but because I hadn't returned to Tokyo yet due to wanting to celebrate with my friends back home, I still had no idea that what happened wasn't a dream at all. And that my, my microwave was continuing to spit out issues of jump from 10 years in the future. So, however, then we cut over to the Kochi prefecture, a little house in, uh, in the mountains. And we get... Uh, Someone calling out to their daughter saying, I bought you, I got you this week's issue of Jump. I'll just leave it at the door. Boom. And so a girl, Itsuki Aino, the person who in the future was riding White Knight, opens up the Jump and is like, what the hell is my White Knight doing in Shonen Jump? And she says, how dare you, Tepe Sasaki? 
to be continued. So the real author, of course, was was out there because it was only 10 years in the future. So what's going to happen now? I will say there are some weird parts to this manga. Uh I don't know how much of it's, you know, meshes and stuff doing a manga writing story with a sci-fi element of it comes from the future. But I think it would be interesting to it will be interesting to see what happens between Itsuki and Tepe. The series is called Time Paradox Ghost Rider. So maybe that's going to be it is that Tepe becomes her ghost writer or something or she becomes his ghost writer or something like that. Um, and uh, if nothing else, it made me want to read the next chapter. So, yeah, I, there's there's interesting things. I'm very curious. I do like because there is an element here about like how you have to make sure that the main character story is likable. And they do do that because he isn't intentionally plagiarizing he does yeah. he does th- he's like wow jump cape in the future and then it's gone he's like wait a minute i just had some crazy dream so in his mind he thinks he just dreamed it up dreamt it up so yeah he's not intentionally what trying sounds, to steal anything. what sounds more realistic to you <laughs> yeah so like i get that aspect of it I, I i do like it for that i'm kind of curious to see how he reacts when he presumably will eventually be confronted by somebody being yeah. like Hey, I'm that person from the future. Well, they wouldn't know that part, but I'm this person you stole my manga and be like, wait a minute, that was the name I because he did yeah. read the name too. So Yeah. I, I definitely think there's some interest there. Um th- there's a small problem with it. Maybe this is just because times have changed for me. There's a level of like masturbatory quality here. Like, jump is the paragon, like the holy light, like this yeah, manga yeah. shout goes straight to jump itself. And you're like, again, just three chapters we're talking about bone collection, yeah. it, especially in a week where we're not super crazy high on most of the manga this week. So it's like, yeah. all right, I guess. But it's it, it's got an interesting premise. I'm excited for it for that angle. Yeah, it's got that whole um, yesterday I think was the name of the movie where uh-huh. everyone forgot about the Beatles, but one guy thing. Yeah. So, you know, there could be an interesting character dynamic. I have no idea how the hell you would make like a long running story out of this, but I guess we'll see what kind of ideas would be leading in that direction soon. Yeah, sure. I mean, you could play with it. <laughs> we'll see over the next two chapters if it's uh, if it's interesting. So, yeah. All, All right. right, Chris, let's talk, Nick, about. We never learn! Question 158x equals Thumbelina Supercomputer Part 8. Nick, we doubted him, but I think Susui is going to tie it all together in a neat little bow. Let's Dude, see. Yeah. yeah. Have you read this chapter yet? <laughs> Nick, I haven't read it yet. Let's not Go in blind! <laughs> I just have faith. <laughs> yeah, the Uruka one was so good. Uh, so... Basically, it's Sekijo, or not Sekijo, uh, Ogata and Uega in Ogata's apartment, and the air conditioner is out, so they're just by a fan, and it's very, very hot. We get, like, a little flashback to Sekijo saying, hey, I'm going home for just a little bit. I just, I need to have uh, an honest conversation with my parents and talk about some things about the future, and Ghost Girl's like, don't worry, I will be there to also meddle in this relationship, so, uh... The two of them, you know, are going to leave. Sekijo basically says, though, thank you so much. You guys have been there supporting me this whole way. I, I really, I'm not going to run away or make any excuses anymore. And then she she goes up and whispers to Uega. She's like, all right, so it's time for you to step up to the plate. It's just, just going to be the two of you now. 
And uh, then she leaves. So it is just the two of them. And we get a bunch of cheesecake shots about how sweaty and hot Ogata is. And Yurega's like, oh, wow, it's so overwhelming. And uh, he can't stop thinking about that. That intimate conversation they had last week about how Ogata was like, I'm here, always. He's like, oh, I, I, I get so nervous. I can't even think around her anymore. She's just playing a game, right? There's no deeper meaning. meaning uh, right, right. So they decide to go off for a walk. And Ogata is wearing what I can only describe as a, a dress where from the bust below, it apparently is sheer. I, I can't tell. It's like a hybrid sundress and nightgown. Yeah. We're like... like- all right so they're going off walking who should that's i mean like if you wear a light enough colored dress then yeah it'll have that silhouette effect but it it's colored gray in the manga which implies that it's a darker color so i don't know i i can only assume it is like yeah sheer from the waist down for some reason yeah uh so they go off walking uh Uega is appropriately performing social distancing, uh, but Ogata yeah. is an idiot and thinks that he shouldn't be doing it. Excuse me. Uh, who should they run into, though? But everyone's favorite, Kirisu. Uh, apparently, her car broke down. So they help her move and they talk like, oh, hey, how are you guys basically doing? And they're like, yeah, we're back here in school. You know, it's kind of nostalgic. I guess it hasn't been that long since graduation, but, you know. And she's like, hey, you know, when we look back on the past, things that were normal at the time suddenly seem like precious treasures, you know? But that goes to the present, too. So you should savor everything and really take full advantage of how sweet it is to be young, you know? It's your summer vacation. Go ahead, you know, walk around the building and have fun. So the two of them go off walking, and there's a collage of all the, the different memories the two of them shared together, which is something that happened in the final chapter of Uruka's chapter as well. There was this big like kind of montage of all the moments that were shared. And uh, this moment is equally as powerful, no doubt. I'm sure everyone agrees. They're also like, I guess because they, this has got to be a cultural kind of thing. They've changed their shoes when they went to the school. I believe it must be because they didn't want to mess up the floors because they've been cleaned. So they're like all wearing slippers when they go into the school building. So that's why what happens happens later. So. so they decide to go into their old classroom, basically. And he's like, you know, since we first started talking, you were always so serious. She's like, oh, really? Well, you couldn't swim. Now, like, we kind of established like three chapters ago, neither of us could swim, but whatever. And she's finally like, oh, are you going to be teaching us today? And he's like, what are you, are you role playing? She's like, yes, be my tutor again. <laughs> Sexy tutor. This desk right now. <laughs> it really kind of feels a little bit like that. And he's like, oh, okay, well, uh, do you remember the fundamentals of essay, right? He basically just quizzes on a whole bunch of questions related to literature. Uh, and he's like, wow, you know, she's really come a long way since where we first met. And he's like, all right. Yeah. And she's like, okay, next question. He's like, how did you know that I pretend to be lonely? Not to be lonely. Yeah, not to be lonely. Sorry. And she says, well, all this time I've been watching you. I was thinking, oh, today he looks tired. And today it looks like something good happened. Today he's got cute bedhead. Today he seems hungry. Today something seems bothering you. I've been watching you so I can tell. And he, he, you know, stares her in the eye and he's like, oh, 
She's like, oh, yeah, just kidding. Teehee, how did that sound? Did my did your heart skip a beat? Which feels like a very un-Ogata thing to do. It feels like any of the other girls would do this, but if you try to establish Ogata as having a weird personality, she should be the one that doesn't immediately did say your, something romantic and then like giggles or whatever. In your heartbeat pattern? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Instead of her being like another girl who's like, giggle, you, uh, didn't that seem romantic, Teehee? Uh, she's like, yeah, you know, I, I told you, just a game, just a game. So they're walking down the stairs, and basically they have like an awkward moment where both of them try to speak at the same time. They're like, oh no, you, oh, you talk. And uh, Ogata slips, and she falls directly into Yueka, very similar to how they did very early on in the series, where they basically kissed by like bumping faces into each other. And uh, that would really hurt. I don't know. That would not be romantic. That would be very painful. Just bash your teeth against someone else's. It'll be so romantic. To yeah, you. just fucking headbutt somebody out of nowhere. Uh, she's like, oh, wow. You know, it's, it's kind of like that time. Oh, what are the chances of an accident like that happening? And uh, Ogata starts to pull away. And then Yuega reaches out and grabs her hands. And he pulls himself in. And the two of them embrace and kiss. And Yuega says, I lose the game. I love you. I really, really love you. Oh, it's a tie. We both love each other. End of chapter. <laughs> so if we treat, uh, because these um, four total, you know, kind of uh, extra arcs that we're getting are, but what if you yeah. ended up with this girl? Um, let's say that you set out with the, oh, well, why did Yuiga come to decide that he was in love with that person? This one answers the question with, well, because Yuiga and Ogata have always got along really well. And also, damn, Ogata's hot, isn't she? Look at her. She's all sweaty. <laughs> Look at her trying these swimsuits. Look at them uh, been on this island together. Look at them with Seiki Joe and, and, and the that's literally the only thing that I can think of in, in terms of this. Ogata said, like, yeah, I noticed, you know, how your emotions and Yuiga was like, oh, and that was it. <laughs> Like, so I actually do like the idea that kind of comes up halfway through this chapter of him like, wait a minute, how do you really know that I'm hiding something like that? And she's like, it's because I watch you. Because that's Ogata's whole thing. That's why she wants to learn more about this. She wants to learn more about humans. And she has this interest in somebody and she follows them. Maybe she doesn't have the best way of expressing it, but she truly cares about Yuega. And she she knows everything. And once he realizes that, it, it is like kind of this awakening of like, oh, Maybe I have feelings for her too. It feels that feels like a moment we should have gotten four chapters ago, <laughs> and then we had like four chapters to like have Yuega address how those feelings are, and because it's literally like what five pages from when she's like, "Oh wait, I can tell. I watch everything about you." Yuega's like, "I guess I lost the game. I love you. I love you. I love you." Like it's just one of those moments where you're like. Man, there's just no, it feels so crammed into the last moment in the last like six pages of this arc to be like, oh, I lost the game. I love you. I love you. I love you. Like, all right, come on, man. It's, it seems as though Susui was just, I really do have to wonder if they were like, hey, Susui, do you, Sensei, do you want to like, you know, extend the, the ending of the manga a little bit more? Make more money. Sounds great. <laughs> okay. So we have this idea where you come with a different ending for each of the, each of the girls. Cool. I'll get started on them right away. Damn it. How do I do anything with Ogata? I know. I'll put her in cheesecake poses and I'll do something with Seiki Joe instead. And also the ghost girl is there. And wow, that filled out seven chapters. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
like we, we've been dunking on this arc for a while because it, it clearly does has not held up the standard that was the Aruka one. Um, but it may, there's even a part of me that's like, maybe that's the situation that was proposed. The idea of like, hey, we want you to keep writing this. Why don't you do an alternate ending for each girl? Because again, that announcement like came out when the last chapter did. So maybe they were saving it so that you could uh, digest the chapter as much as possible. But ideally, if you were saying, hey, any of these endings could be canon, you probably should have said that at the very forefront before Ruka's ending kind of started. So maybe they proposed that. And maybe this is Susu saying, ah, oh, shit. All right, phone it in for Ogata. I need some time to figure out how I'm going to write the other three girls I care much more about. Because like it, it, this one really just doesn't have, like, look, there's parts of it that are romantic. And, and people have mentioned that they, the kiss they share actually does look very beautiful. It does have that elegance to it that feels like had any of the buildup to this point worked, it would have felt like a very passionate, very nice moment. But there's none. This is just like, I love you. I love you too. All right, cool. We love each other. All right, cool. We got that out of the way. All right, let's get to Fumito's arc or whatever. It's just like, it, it just doesn't have it. I know there's probably like another chapter and then I, I don't know if they do an epilogue or something like that. But I mean, there was nowhere near the satisfaction of getting to this point no. that there was with the Aruko arc. Like you... you I understand there's different preferences to different people, but I, I don't know if they're even if you were a huge Ogata fan, you were just like, oh, this was well, just as satisfying. There was a point early on and we never learned where I thought that Ogata was like probably the most interesting and entertaining of the girls in the series. And par partially because, you know, Asumi came along and partially because Iruka became a much more interesting character and Fumino became a much more interesting character. And all that stuff. She really kind of fell behind. But even so, over the course of the series, you got to see some different sides of her. Got to see how her quirks were kind of evolving and stuff. But like late game, I was really getting kind of sick of her weird like approach to things. Literally, like at the moment where she realized she was in love with Yuiga, it was like. They could not decide if she was going to be a robot who was learning what human emotions were or if she was going to just be a girl like yeah. she comes across in this ending. And I don't think that though that her character development actually carried through into her feelings for Yuiga most of the time. There were a few moments that I thought were good after that point, but like. I hated that chapter where she was like, you have figured out what 12.5% of my physical differences are. It, it, and, but. And then it came to this and literally she just doesn't seem like herself yeah. in this entire arc to me. And so if I had been someone who really wanted to see Rizu end up with Yuiga, I don't know if this would have been satisfying to me because it's not like Rizu ended up with Yuiga. It's a girl who looks like her and kind of talks like her sometimes did. Yeah. So, I mean, a level of eh. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get you. Um, I, as I said, there might, there might be another chapter to this to kind of wrap I things imagine. up. Yeah. But, um, who knows? Probably getting close to the end of it. All right. Dr. Stone. Time to get started. Stoned. Z equals 150. Righteous science user. Speaking of sheer nightgowns. Seriously. 
You girls need to wear shorts. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that uh, color page with Homura and Kirisame being all sexy. And then Suika's like, I'm here, too, to make you to judge you for, for looking at them. <laughs> um, everyone is thinking about the fact that, hey, there seems to be a, a science user and they, you know, shot up our freaking boat. So they're talking about that. Senku concludes their science is a bit more advanced than ours because, you know, they have a machine gun. So strong logic there. Uh, and of course, Ryusu was like, yeah, and also they want to kill us. <laughs> uh, however, as they're kind of just going down the river, suddenly Ukiyo realizes there's an engine somewhere behind us. Uh, and they're trying to think, OK, is someone pursuing us? Kohaku says, I mean, I've been watching behind us and I have not spotted a thing. Uh, there's no other boat on the stream, so nobody, and anyway, nobody could catch up with us. But Ukyo, of course, realizes that their pursuer is not on the water. It's a plane! And sure enough, we pan up to see a freaking kind of, kind of insect, insect almost like a biplane swooping down towards them. And Senku is so shocked to see this that he actually temporarily misses Taiju screaming at him to, to get his attention. So a fight breaks out, a firefight. Uh, the mysterious uh, new person <laughs> pauses in, in their flyby to light a cigarette and then sticks their hand and part of their head out of the cockpit with a machine gun to blah, 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 uh, across them. Um, Yo tries to shoot the gun back, but of course it's completely pointless to do so. Um, Senku comes up with a quick plan. He mixes up some chemicals and then screams over to Kirisame, hey, you've got the best throwing arm, so put it to use. Um, I like that Chrome basically immediately figures out what she's going to need before she actually calls for it because he starts getting a rope with a loop on it uh, handy and tosses it towards her right before, right as she's actually asking for some. So she swings the chemical mixture over her head, throws it straight towards the plane. It gets sucked into these like vents uh on its sides and uh the pilot immediately realizes oh the engine's kind of gotten knocked from this not bad so the plane crashes into some trees uh as the pilot just kind of jumps to safety no parachute needed no they're a badass the pilot's uh mask cracks and splits open and we hear a voice over some sort of radio say that was acetylene gas it's harmless to people but it can stall an engine very very easily so it was a very elegant way of bringing down the the aircraft so um they start the pilot starts to say it's like ah it's a pyro something or other i think i learned about this yeah pyrophoric all right fine uh, he's, they say all right i got it and we get a good look at their face and uh, it is not frank castle <laughs> no Fortunately not. Maybe next time, though. Uh, I would say effeminate-looking face, but I've learned from this series. I'm not going to draw any conclusion. Until I hear the words come out of someone who knows this person's mouth say if they are a, a male or a female, I'm just going to say, like, them. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, they, they seem to have a, a slight undercut. It's a very unique hairstyle where, like, they shave up to, like, here... And then they let the rest of the hair grow out. So mm -hmm. there you go. Uh, 
So they light another cigarette, and uh, the pilot says, Now we know that our enemies have a sharp-witted science pro just like you. We cut away from them, and the rest of the chapter is Senku and Risu going, Ha ha, they're playing Crash. We're going to go take it. And then they do. <laughs> that's, ba- <laughs> that's basically the rest of the chapter. They yeah. just, you know, they chop up a bunch of wood to use the raft, and they just haul the plane with them th- th- down the stream. And, uh, yeah, Achievement unlocked, busted aircraft acquired. So they it. did it. Uh, you know, so this is interesting. I, I, I'm kind of curious to know more about this character we met. I feel that this is a very unique individual. Like, I, I want to kind of know more about them because this kind of could set the precedent of what not only this next arc is going to be, but potentially all of these arcs going to different places. Like, I basically want to see the caliber. So, like, it was very interesting when we were dealing with uh, Sukasa, and then Ibarra managed to, like, really become a very intimidating force by the end. If this is our antagonist, I want to kind of see more about them and really experience them. They've, they've had a pretty interesting showing mm-hmm. so far, uh, so I'm, I'm very intrigued to know more about them. I like their general attitude. You know, mm-hmm. they're not really shocked by anything. Um, and even when they lose their plane, they're just like, all right. <laughs> oh, well, jump out here. And I also really like the aesthetic to all of their tech, the kind of insectoid appearance to everything. Mm-hmm. Except for the machine gun, which is a fucking machine gun. So Can't do it with everything. Chainsaw Man! All right, it is chapter 69. Nice, 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 nice. Shining power. Denji has just set himself on fire and attacked Santa Claus. Yep. (laughs) So, and Santa Claus manages to knock Denji away after a moment. He is still on fire. He is doused in gasoline, so of course he is. And Santa Claus says... Even after deepening my wisdom with the power of darkness, I, can, I can't comprehend the behavior of fools. Denji says, I ain't no fool. I watch educational TV every day. Yep. Okay. However, he has also split off one of his chains from one of his chainsaws and has managed to wrap it around Santa Claus, almost like a string of barbed wire. Uh, Denji is still screaming from the fact that he is on fire, but he has tied them together. So he just, you know, lunges in and keeps attacking her. Santa Claus says, I'm just going to keep distributing my pain across the other dolls, uh, uses a bunch of arms to kind of throw her away. And Denji's like, I mean, Hey, your regeneration's slowing down cause of light power. Santa throws him against the wall. A bunch of dolls come bursting through the wall and grab at him and start stabbing him with their blade arms. And, uh, Santa Claus says, this is a fitting death for a dog who ignorantly wags his tail for Makima. Now stay still and burn. Denji reacts by biting into one of the of the dolls and drinking their blood to regenerate. And he's like, with light power. (laughs) It's not light power at all. You drank their blood. Uh, The puppets knock him down, just dogpile on top of him. Santa Claus says, please hurry up and die. I'll let you see Makima soon enough. Denji pulls on the chain and they start tug of warring with it. He's just trying to pull her towards himself as he's held down by puppets. More puppets jump in to try and pull back against the chain. It's so weird. (laughs) So 
Tug of War is going on. Eventually, one of the puppets drives a car into Denji, and I, it. I think it's specifically Kobeni's car too. <laughs> I think that's her car. So the car blows up on him. Denji emerges from the fire and keeps pulling on the chain to pull Santa Claus towards him. And Santa Claus says, why won't you die? And Denji says, it's cool. You're all working together to kill me because sharing is caring. But you know what? If Makima dies, I don't get to go on my trip with her. (laughs) And he pulls her in even closer, kicks through Santa's body with his foot chainsaw. It's a really cool two-page spread. And then he picks up the car, shouts, shining power, and drops it on her, and it explodes. And there's fire everywhere. I really needed this chapter, Chris, because so much this week was, well, I didn't really like it. I didn't care for this. I was kind of disappointed by this. And you know what? Any fight scene can be improved with people picking up cars and throwing them at each other. Yeah. So thank you, Chainsaw Man, for giving me stupid joy in my life. I'm very uh, impressed with how you recapped this chapter as well, uh, because I have no fucking clue what happened to this chapter. My uh, microphone has peaked so many times. <laughs> I, I No, I mean, legitimately. I, so I actually really wasn't a huge fan of this chapter. I had a ton of time telling what's happening. Uh, just because everything's oh, so dark. How I, I, yeah, I, I was like legitimately, I was like, oh, that's what's ha-. It was so hard for me to read this chapter because Chainsaw Man already kind of has a rough art style, which I enjoy. But then you add on to it. Well, all the scenes take place at night, so everything's dark. And then let's add a layer of fire on top of Chainsaw Man. You're like, all right, fuck, I'm going to have to start deciphering some shit. There's still a couple panels. No idea what's happening in them. I'm just like, all right, let's go. Let's, I'll just keep on moving there. Uh, so I, I definitely, I still like it. It's still fun. And I do love Dingy's attitude here, but this was definitely a chapter where I was like, fuck man, I, I'm going to need to watch the anime if it ever gets an anime, because this was, I have no idea what happens. It seemed very cool, but I had zero clue. Usually I'm the one who has trouble telling what's going on in Chainsaw Man. So the fact that I could follow this one perfectly, I guess, definitely contributed to my enjoyment of yeah. it. So. <sighs> And And now for the best chapter. We are not ending on a high note, guys. We have (laughs) two chapters to go, and I hated both of them. (laughs) Promise Neverland. Chapter 177. Mother. Mother, won't you let that demon's hand? (laughs) Won't you murder me? Redemption through death, mother. Really lazy, but it's what we're doing. Oh, mother! <laughs> oh, never mind. That's a great song, by the <laughs> it way. It is good. I learned about it. Guess what? On Mother's Day several years ago, I was like, I have to find out what that song is, and I was like, that is the perfect Mother's Day song, even though it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I know of it from it was either Guitar Hero two or three. It was in one of those. There's a really good song, great guitar song, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so Isabella has intercepted the claw attack that was intended for Emma and whatever kid she was protecting. The demon who has stabbed through her body is like, what are you doing? You're trying to act like a mother now? Won't make up for the fact that you've done all this time. You can never become a mother. And, and Isabella's like, 
I know. But I don't care about that. I won't let you lay a finger on the children. And the demon's like, I can't get my hand out of a body for some reason. <laughs> so everyone's like, okay, let's kill this guy. Ray shoots it. Um, I forgot. Deflected by the helmet. I forgot how he dies. Some dude just walks up and cuts <laughs> So Ray's like, all right, I've got to take a, I've got to take closer aim in order to kill this guy. But Gilda's like, if you shoot now, it'll impact mom's wounds. Fortunately, when the other demon comes in and cuts his head off with a fucking glaive, it rocks his body way less than being shot in the head would have. They're like, ah, excellent. The perfect way to ensure the body is not disturbed at all. Instant decapitation with a heavy object. Decapitation! <laughs> so, the just demon gets a shot. How worthless this exchange is. Just recognize Isabella, mom, is attacked by a demon with no name, and the person to kill that demon is another demon with no name. <laughs> This is what happens when you put the only demons that you care about and are still alive over in the capital where they can't help. <laughs> like, even if one of the mothers had, like, grabbed a glaive from one of the demons and done this instead, that would still have been better. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she would have had no name either. Don't care. Would have been better. Everyone's correct into saying that the demon's not dead. It doesn't, you know, the core wasn't destroyed. So Because his head flies off and he goes... Damn it! Yeah, and they're like, arrest that headless man. It's still, it's, it's the, it's the purpose of still. What was it that stopped this demon? Is another nameless demon? Like it's just this exchange. Because look, I guarantee this motherfucking demon is not going to show up again. <laughs> like this is effectively killing this character anyway. No, so it's be even better if in the next chapter. We get a little recap. It'd be like, we held a funeral for, Is for for Isabella, mom, and the demon who killed her, whose name was Schmeggy, <laughs> was sentenced to- With Lord Dub Dub. <laughs> he was late to rest. Lord Dub Dub. <laughs> Wait, he was a lord? That seems like a prestigious title. That's <laughs> just some random guy. Oh, no, he's uh, Louis's other brother. <laughs> When when we thought Lewis had died, actually his clone went off. <laughs> so it's split. It's like there was a Lewis and then there was a nobody called Dub Dub. <laughs> like that's not... Alright. Let's just let it happen. So Mom is they have a funeral, basically. Everyone's gathered around her. She's on her deathbed. Blood is dripping everywhere. And they're like, you've got to hang on. Is anyone going to try to perform first aid? I mean, like, a lot of you guys were having to do to rough it. And where I was like, no, we've got no medical supplies anywhere. So, but Isabella just says, we uh, used them all saving Chris. <laughs> so, like, are you okay, Emma? And no one else was hurt? No, we're all okay. And Isabella says, I'm sorry. And she thinks to herself, I was planning to live and go to the human world. Sorry for taking the easy way out. They're like, we'll save you. Don't die. And Isabel reaches up and she grabs Emma by her face. And she goes, squishy, squishy. That would have been better than what actually happens. Emma says, in narration, at first I was terrified. Why? How come? 
we couldn't understand when they found out that Isabella was working against them. Next, we couldn't forgive her. We suspected that Mom was the same as Crone, who just wanted to live in the best way. We saw her as an enemy, as someone to defeat. But once we got outside, all we remembered was how kind she was. And I finally figured out why. It's because her kindness and love were all genuine. Now, I know that that is actually the truth. Mm-hmm. Because we have seen this from Isabella's perspective. We know that she did actually genuinely care for the children. And she thought that the only thing that she could do for them was just have them live in comfort for the first 12 years of their life before shipping them off to death. We know that about her. What has she done to convince Emma or anyone else of that? Nothing. Because they barely talked before this happened. And it really makes me think that as soon as they left the farm where this woman was keeping them captive in order to be fed to fucking monsters, that they were just suffering from, like, delayed uh, freaking... Stockholm Syndrome. Delayed Stockholm Syndrome. And they were like, well, I miss mom now that we've left her. She was so good to us. And definitely all of it was genuine. Like, again, we know that's true. But for them... Wouldn't there be some level of, like, was like wouldn't they doubt, like, when it was an all-in-act? Oh. Like, I mean, because we saw that whole, because this was established back when the kids first escaped, how Isabel actually, like, felt about a lot of them. And then, like, nothing was done with her for, like, a hundred chapters after that point. And now you're giving me this. So... Emma thinks about this, and then she says, We still love you, Mom. We all love you so much, Mom. I don't love her at all. (laughs) I've been getting my fingers broken every day because of this bitch. (laughs) Never made one good stamp sandwich in her life. Just just shut up for now, Phil. You're our only (laughs) No one tells me to be quiet. Nobody puts fit on the corner. (laughs) I'm an important character. So, you're like, don't leave, Mom, no! And Isabel is crying, and she's like, I want to live. I want to live and atone for what I did to them. So does everyone else, but the writer decided this was better for some fucking reason. And she's like, I can't speak. I can't move. My sight is fading. Please, a little more strength, just once more. The strength to hug, to hug my children. And she manages to kind of wrap her arms around the group as they cluster around her and she says I love all of you and they're like we love you mom mom and then she calls for Ray her actual son and so Don calls over to Ray whom I will say that as I was watching this unfold I was like Ray's not in any of these pictures it feels like he should be yeah like there was definitely a moment where I was like did I like vividly forget some scene where her and fucking Ray interacted because I feel like we definitely should have gotten something like that. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's happening here. So she calls Ray over to be right next to her face so that she can say to him, I'm sorry. And she does not say, but she thinks, I couldn't dote on you for 12 years. I made you live a life you wanted to curse. I love you so much. And then she just says, take care of everyone. So she didn't even say, I love you to him, I guess. Yeah. Well, she said, I love you to everybody. Yeah. But, but then quietly, wink, wink, especially you. Yeah. So Ray starts to cry and everyone's crying as Isabella's eyes close. And the last page is a flashback to when Ray and Emma and Norman were all much younger. And she was, you know, kind of looking after them as they were all going outside to play. She says, go have fun. Oh, this chapter would have 
been fine if it had had stuff happen beforehand that justified it. Mm -hmm. I think that you could take this completely unedited and then just stick in like a good five or ten chapters or so of Isabella like doing stuff with the group and have a few conversations with them here or there where they actually make proper amends so that they are justified in thinking this about her because dramatic irony is a thing, you know? And just because the readers know this about Isabella doesn't mean that the kids should automatically know it about her. It's or like there should have been some sort of justification for like, despite everything we still knew, like there should have been something to at least carry across that point and state it strongly as opposed to. But, you know, it was really lonely out in the wilderness and we missed having mom to, you know, clean up our shit for us. And uh, so we loved her, I guess. So it really comes across as like that ex- that little moment of narration by Emma made everything worse, honestly, than it would have if nothing had been said in that moment. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap things up on a high note. Let's talk about Black Clover, page 250, Charmy versus Hobbit. Oh, uh, boy. Another fight. Yep. And it's with our favorite character, Charmy. Everyone loves her. Uh, so she's flying in because uh, she says, I'll never forgive anyone who harms this kingdom's nature and its food. And uh, it's very well established. Uh, I need to the nature and the food. Yep. I need to go back. I want to analyze how many lines of dialogue Charmy has that does not directly mention food or, you know, and I want to see what the percentage breakdown is of lines of Charmy that are just her talking about food. Uh, get back to me after you've read all 250 chapters of uh, Black Clover then, buddy. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I just said I would like to. <laughs> In a world with more time, which I, I have almost all of now. <laughs> uh, so, hey, who was there? But Halbit, basically, she's she's a girl who has hair magic. And she's like, ah, but, you know, Lord Potroff. He protected us. He's down. He doesn't even get like the big thing from before. So, uh, is it an L? Is it Halbit? Actually, I was reading it as an I. So I guess Halbit is her name. And Charmy shows up. She's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And Charmy's like, or Halbit's like, "Oh, what an unsightly butterball!" Because she sees Charmy and she's like, "Oh, she's she's all big and everything like that." And she thinks back to all the great times she's had with all these animals and this village, and most particularly Lord Potroff, <laughs> who is uh, the dude who looks like the grass gym leader from the new Pokemon games, yeah. basically. And she's like, "Oh, never forgive you!" So she summons her big sheep, and Halbit starts using her hair magic. And this is a moment where I was like, "You know what?" Because we, you know, and kind of harping on the fact that like they were like, oh, but Clover Kingdoms where they have all the weird magic, and I was like, you know what, hair magic, skin magic, eye magic, maybe their whole like Spade Kingdom just has like a body magic thing. And I was like, oh right, Lord Zeno has bone magic. That oh wait, no, hold on, gravity magic, and then there was the one, <laughs> then there was the one rock dude that you know fought at the very start. Never mind, that theory fell apart real quickly. <laughs> um. So they basically have a fight, <laughs> you know, from when you eat rocks. <laughs> yeah, when you eat rocks, it's like a part. Rocks are part of your body if you're the thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, she's basically like, uh, oh, our magics are like it, their affinity for one another for somehow. So they can't like they can't defend one another, but hers kind of can. So she has the advantage basically in magic powers. So it's she- weird because she says we slip through the other's spells, but my hair magic can defend me. Your cotton magic can't protect you. And we see this happen, and no explanation is given for why. <laughs> I assume the assumption is her hair can't hurt the sheep made of cotton, but it can actually physically hurt the real body of Charmy. That, that's what I presume is meant to be expressed oh, but, there. But So her hair is winding around, and we see it pass through Charmy's giant cotton sheep thing, and they're just you know passing through each other. But then the sheep tries to punch her, and she summons a barrier... Of her hair, yeah, and blocks it. So, well, Nick, if you <laughs> if you remember your Pokemon type matchups, uh, Cotton has always been weak against hair magic. It's always been ineffective. So, uh, uh, so you're telling me it's a difference? It's a matter of like offensive uh, effectiveness versus defensive effectiveness. Yeah, it, it's not necessarily that uh, hair magic is half as effective against Cotton. Uh, it's just that Cotton does no damage to it. But if you could remove that vulnerability. Cotton would be just as strong. You know, it's kind of like fighting types and ghosts. Like, if you if you hit them with the foresight, you can hit that ghost just as powerful. It's just that level of, like, you gotta you gotta have foresight. Who the fuck runs that? You know? I'm just gonna switch out to a psychic type or, or a dark type or something, you know? Come gotcha. on now. Alright. All right. So, no more questions. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, basically, they're just like, oh, you know, you, she, she's getting attacked. Uh, Halpit's just kind of insulting her, like, oh, that chunky little body of yours, it can't avoid my attacks. You, you, eating is ridiculous. All beauty needs is nutrition, because I'm beautiful and I am strong, and my nutrition is properly managed, and you're an ugly fat fat fat. I don't even want to look at you. So, uh, the way Charmy, of course, defeats this person who's body shaming her, is to become conventionally attractive. <laughs> <laughs> And then <laughs> devours her life. <laughs> she summons her wolf magic that cooks her into a stew and I guess eats all of her hair. I guess that's what's happening. And then Charmy just punches her a shit ton. <laughs> and it's a real win for body positivity across the world. <sighs> When you put it like that, it's even worse. <laughs> uh, look, I know there's some people. A lot of people really like Charmy. They're one of her. She's one of their favorite characters. Uh, I'm not a fan of her, so like I'm just like it's not an exciting chapter for me. And I'm already very tired of these fights. Yeah, that's like, that's the way it comes down for me. It doesn't matter who it is, really. Yeah. The only the only one that I would have like stood up for is like if Zora suddenly showed up and I was like oh oh he's here he's back to save us <laughs> well we're gonna we're gonna get at least one more because they they mentioned like four of the five guardians were defeated so right. presumably there's one more person and we don't know where Zora is so maybe he is one of these people that's over here I don't know it's just a matter of it comes down to it's just chapter after chapter of people I don't care about fighting people I've never seen before mm-hmm. um. And yeah, I mean, it was a little bit more interesting when Lux fight had a little bit of buildup and it built to like a proper crescendo after seeing like how his training actually paid off. And then it was just like, and also Leon learned stuff. 
Yeah. And also, Charmy punched a person. And so these two chapters back to back are like, I'm sick of this. At the very least, it's not, you know, like four to five to six chapter long fights between somebody I don't care about and somebody I've never seen before. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens next time. But uh, that's it. <laughs> ending that's the, mo- it. Ending, ending hey! the recap. All right, that is going to do it for Week Manga Recap this week, everybody. Favorite chapter and MVP, Chris. Uh, favorite chapter for me was Mashal Magic and Muscles. I really, really enjoyed that chapter. I thought it was a ton of fun. And uh, it's probably the one I enjoyed the most, definitely. Mine was Chainsaw Man, but of course we had that you know disagreement over the ability to determine what was going on. So understandable that uh, it's not your. Yeah, I, and I totally like because so the audience picked Act Age and Chainsaw Man as their favorites. Mm-hmm. I mean Act Age I don't quite get, but uh, Chainsaw Man I get that. I just it was for me I couldn't I had issues with it, but I still really like the premise of it a lot. So character of the week MVP uh, rather can we just go ahead and say it's daybreak oh yeah it's daybreak <laughs> who did not win the audience at all I only saw like one or two votes for daybreak everyone was much more interested in Tokoyami from my hero which I get but he ran away bravely ran away away good job Tokoyami yeah come on daybreak also, was... also also he saved uh, Hawks' life whatever yeah that's very cool <laughs> but daybreak daybreak's com- an idiot look at that <laughs> Daybreak's an idiet, so I have to vote for it. As a fellow, as a fellow fool myself, I feel obligated. When you see full representation in media, you have to you have to support it where you can. Yeah, we should like open up the. We should just uh, sign off by like name ourselves after like some sort of uh, you know counterpart to our rivals or something like that. Yep, who are rivals? Uh, well, for me, it's bleach. So um, ammonia. Could, yeah, there you go. Or, and uh, for me, it's success. So I'm <laughs> failure, man. <laughs> I'm <free of> success. <laughs> my, my eternal rival is happiness. So <laughs> I shall. Someone, I shall be sad. Sad. Whenever someone feels a sense of accomplishment and satisfaction, <laughs> I feel another pang. <laughs> Together, we are Ammonia and Sadsack. <laughs> That's our tech team. <laughs> we are Ammonia and Sadsack. Two, three, four. <laughs> Thank you everyone for joining us for Week Manga Recap. Smash Cast at TV Stress Royalty. Twitch.tv slash Royalty. Live broadcast goes on Wednesdays sometime around 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Follow us for updates, and so you can tell exactly where we're going to start the show, at WMR Podcast, at Roller T, at Nick F. Time on Twitter. Check out past episodes at weeklymongrecap.podbean.com. If you want to send us Q&A stuff for our Q&A episodes, ask us questions, a suggest for future manga for us to read. Follow along with the, with the weekly discussion of the manga, and also just other general discussions uh, that go on. Discord server. Join that. That is where you can also find the Google spreadsheet that keeps track of basically everything that goes on, everything that you need to know if you want to know if we've covered a series, what series we're thinking about looking at, what series is coming up. Uh, The Google Doc is maintained by NinjaX3, and you can find it through the Discord as well. Special thanks as well go out to Steve Man, a target artist, Infamous Planet for the frame for the visual version of the podcast, and Milo Jack Stillitz and Wizzle Cheddar for the opening sequence of Wee Manga Recap. That is going to do it, everybody. Yep. Uh, get ready, guys, for next week, where we're going to be talking about Boom Collection again. It's coming. It's in the recap, guys. 
And can I note, I'm not going to lie, there was a small part of me that did it, that used my veto in the bank contract <laughs> exclusively on the hope that this manga lasts till October so I could call it Brood Collection. <laughs> it's already Bone Collection! <laughs> 